My father saved his village at the cost of his own life. You had him shot as you ran away. A hero at a thousand paces. I'm sorry. I don't remember any of it. You don't remember? For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. Son of each bison's ass. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> you and me at SummerSlam, bison. Now we're doing it, bison. And we start podcast now? No? Yeah? <laughs> we talk We talk uh, my movie, Street Fighter? Yeah? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, Brad. We we uh, have uh, a big, big explosive, like my bicep uh, uh uh, movie time. Yes, I kick people in face. I don't. I. I don't know if you know this line. I say, "Hey, Bison, this is collection agency. Your ass is six months overdue, and it's mine." Yeah, uh, I wrote. I wrote that. I don't know if oh, you know that's that. Good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, this this epic epic episode. Uh, uh, your pick. Yes. No. Yes. Ho uh, ho. Yes, it is. Uh, this is uh, episode. What number is this? Ninety three. Maybe yeah. Maybe I don't maybe. know. I cook out of my uh, mind. So, uh. <laughs> uh, and we're doing Street Fighter from 1994. Yes. So you're going to hear a lot of bad Jean Claude Van Damme impressions tonight. Uh, but bad. Speak for yourself. Or oh. fantastic. Um, speaking of which, we had to bring on some Jean Claude Van Damme experts, and we know not one but two of them, and so <laughs> we get. Uh, just the pleasure of having both Sammy and Jose on for this epic throwdown of an episode. Sammy, Jose, how are you guys doing tonight? Good, good. I'm doing good. Happy to be here. Always happy to be here. <laughs> I am good. I am glad to be here. Oh, good. Uh, it's good. Good. I. I so happy. I so happy you here. Uh, so your, I, I just your wanna... Van Dam is very close to Schwarzenegger. So there's a very thin line there. Yeah, it is very Schwarzenegger, but they're close anyway they're I all from to, over there i'm drinking right? a waterloo for uh in honor of shadowloo so there yeah. you go yeah there you go oh yeah, i t- today is a guinness um a uh porter so <laughs> i'm diet coke uh sick pride sammy from sandaloo over here <laughs> okay uh california performance company protein Ooh. Ooh. wow Okay. I just came from Zumba with the seniors, so I needed a little protein injection. Got it. Oh. Keep right. it G-rated. There's some more comments. There's some. Uh, there's some Watch behind that the scenes. Protein injection. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sammy, uh, this is not the first time you've, you've talked about Street Fighter, right? No, this is not the first time I've talked about Street Fighter. I was actually going to go up and go back and listen to our GGTMC episode of uh, our Street Fighter review, but I didn't. So. This could be embarrassing because I could end up saying something different than what I said on that. But you know what? That's podcasting. That's it. That hey, was, your opinion changes over time, right? Yeah. That was like 10 years ago. So, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. 
I thought, listen, before we talk about this film, because uh, this is going to be a fun discussion, I, I want to know, because in my opinion, the, the Jean-Claude filmography is pretty solid. I don't know what you guys think, but he is one of my favorites of, let's say, the non-Hong Kong uh, face kickers. I, I really <laughs> enjoy his films. I, I like him more than Steven Seagal and, and some of the others. Okay, it's down. Seagal's a joke compared to Van yeah. Damme. But I, I'm really curious. Hey man, don't say anything bad about my movies. Oh boy, <laughs> it's gonna. This is just gonna be. Look out, mother freaker! <laughs> mother freaker! <laughs> we're gonna the, uh, cable, the cable version. Yeah, of, we're gonna uh, for justice. We're gonna derail so many times. Uh, well, let, let's just talk about it. This I don't know how if this was easy for you guys. I initially asked for top three Jean Claude Van Damme films, and and Sammy, you were like, no, it's got to be five. Yeah. And everybody was like, I, I don't know if I can pick five. I could pick like 15 easy. Now getting it down to three was hard, but five is a no brainer for me. So um, we're going to start with you, Jose. We're going to, we're going to talk about the top five and you have to rank them. So top five Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. So we're going to start with your number five pick. What, what did you choose? So I only, I only prepped. Three, but I will I I will add I will add two. I will give you um number five is probably Cyborg, the oh. Albert Pune directed um canon cyborg, which you know there is a director's yes, I've cut seen it. out there. There's a the a sort of like a, a scut one that was like put together. It's not officially released, but I like both versions, the theatrical and that, but that would probably be my fifth. Okay. Slinger. I think it's called Slinger. Slinger. Yes. Yes. The the Slinger version. When Albert yeah. was uh, hitting conventions, because I think Brad, you and I met him in Louisville because he had mm-hmm. hit that convention, and we had talked to him for a long time because he was debuting, I think, his sequel to Sword and the Sorcerer at midnight. Um. But yeah, we picked up a copy of Slinger from there and saw that. Uh, Your listeners cannot see me. My jaw is dropping. Oh, that yeah, you guys was, met. Albert Pune, he's fantastic. So, so I, uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up, but the opening part of that movie of Cyborg, I believe, is um, in Method Man's debut album, Judgment Day, Takao 2000, Judgment Day. I think it opens that album. Oh, so, okay. Wow. Yeah, if All I remember right. correctly. Good Trivia pick. bomb. Yeah. Nice. Love it. Good pick. All right, Sammy, what's your number five? Oh, man. So I'm the reason why this is so complicated, and I understand that. And the reason why is because I love so many Jean-Claude Van Damme films. Oh, I preach on, brother. I, preach on. I was I was one of those guys growing up, and everybody would call him like a ballerina or something like that. And I would say, you know, you guys don't get it. Those are the guys that last. It's not the Steven Seagal's. It's not the Chuck Norris guys. It's not the guys with the guns all the time. It's the guys that can do the crazy kicks or some kind of silliness or where they would fetishize the violence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'm speaking to the choir here, but oh, I know that yeah. I'm just talking to your, your, to your audience here. That's why I always knew he was going to last. I knew he would become a joke for a while because he's easy to pick on, but his career, it's not like Schwarzenegger's because he became a huge star, but it's similar in some ways with his accents and, you know, his looks and everything. And he reached a height and then he kind of plummeted and then he kind of came back. So I, I just want to get that out there because I'm a huge JCVD fan. I think he's, uh, I mean, he's probably not the nicest guy in the world. He might be a bit of a prick. He might be a nice guy nowadays. He might be a little humbled, but I think he can do a lot. I think he can do action comedy. I think he can do it all. So anyway, 
I'm going to go with, oh man, this is so hard. Uh, my list <laughs> is struggling. Like as you are talking, struggling. Yeah. Well, as you guys are talking, my list is changing. <laughs> it, it's, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to drop a, a hot one in here. I'll, I'll, I'll go universal, uh, universal soldier regeneration, not Ooh. universal soldier. Yes. Regeneration. Oh, man, that's okay. a good one too, man. It's yeah. violent. It yeah. is super that's violent. The, the kind of Colonel Kurtz version of Van Damme and that the kind of apocalypse now in the swamp. Uh, he's very cool. Well, something he did very well in his older, the latter part of his career was play heavies. Yes. And uh, he did a really good job in Expendables too, where he played Villian. <laughs> Villian. And uh, yeah. And uh, I really like this film. Scott Atkins. It's actually my favorite Scott Atkins film. And uh, it just brings him and Dolph back together, and it, it's got a great climax. So, yeah, I recommend that one a lot. It does. I, that was, for the longest time, my favorite Scott Atkins film until Avengement came along. No. But I, I, that, that, was, that was in contention for me, too. That was almost my number five, because I, I do cherish that one. Is yeah. Avengement the one with, um, oh, my God, big, burly British man? Yes, yeah, when Very Scott Atkins sexy. goes Craig to- Fairbris? Craig, Craig Fairbrass is he in that Fairbrass? I don't I don't remember the actor. It's just it's the one where Atkins goes to prison and like beats everybody up in prison and then gets out to beat up the people that put him in prison. It's fantastic. Yes. It's really good. Yes, I love that one. That one's good. All right, it Brad. Craig, Craig Fairbrass. He's kind of a up and coming, middle aged British action star. I, I'm going to trust you guys. I'm, I'm going to say yes. It it is that person. <laughs> sure. Um, it is him. That is him. He's okay. he's a he's a huge beast. I yeah. told you I Thank was God. right. Yes, it was him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nothing. Nothing but facts today, gentlemen. Nothing but facts. Okay, Brad. Number five of my movie. Yeah, go. Okay, I, I, I would have to do a disclaimer, like like Sammy. Uh, literally, these could change next week. Like they're all kind of interchangeable. It just kind of depends on what I've seen recently, and I I'm a huge. Van Damme fan, like there's just something about him, the Frenchness of it all, the athleticism that he has, like dude is a badass. Um, so my number five is a film that not has not only one John Claude Van Damme in it, but it has two of them. Oh, it is the twin trope. impacts. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Chad and Alex. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> Chad and Alex. The two whitest names that you could choose for yeah. characters. Yep. I Friends never wear French twins. Yeah, I never wear sink pilk underwear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. Oh, that was a big uh, so, deal. I remember that I was I was in Evansville, Indiana, and saw that at Showplace South. I man, that was a opening night. I was excited about that one. Wasn't that like he and that uh, Sheldon Likich? They worked together a few times, and mm-hmm. I think that yeah. was yep. Yeah, that's one. Of Is the it things. Leech? Sheldon Leech? Leech? I yeah. think so. Did they? Did he direct uh, Nowhere to Run? Nowhere to hide. Nowhere to no. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. You're so, talking. You're talking too many facts. I don't do facts. I do kicking sorry. face. Yes. I I do know that Peter Hyams, who has directed JCVD, his son directed the the Universal Soldier Regeneration, and yes. then the other pair of the other movie that was after that. There were the, there were two, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought Peter Himes was, uh, or his son, uh, was on his way up. It seems like he's kind of petered out a little bit. No no pun intended. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) He Peter Himed out there. Uh, we should talk real quick. So there, there are a couple of uh, Jean Claude uh, tropes, right? So you, you've hit on one of them, right, Brad? So it's the twins. 
And um, one of my favorite things, I, I wanted to put this in the list, but I just stuck to films. There's but, such an easy joke there. The yeah. twins. Should we say the twins or are we talking about his butt cheeks? Because- yeah, his butt cheeks. Oh, those are, <laughs> well, ooh, that's that the reference too. I got, y'all. Those yeah. are two yeah. heavenly hams. That are I mean, just- e- even I know that is a nice ass. I yeah, mean, so he's... That there's two twins. You've got the twins when he plays twins, or then you you have his twins, uh, which are just that that should be on a Mount Rushmore. Uh, I don't know idol somewhere, but um, so we got the twin thing. We have the tournament film. He's done a few oh, of those, yes. right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to think of the others. I, I what I what I loved about that uh, TV series he did for Amazon, well, his cop films, Van Johnson, is yeah. they make fun of all of these tropes. Um, and you, what did you just say, Brad? His, his cop films. Cop films, yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Bolo Young shows up a couple of times. He's a big heavy. Uh, you got to do the slow motion split in the air. That's got to be like, what do you think, three or four times per film? Yes. yes. And the, round, the roundhouse kick's got to be in there too. Yeah. There's so many good yeah. ones. So yeah. I, you mentioned my number five, Sammy, and this was this was one of the ones where – Everybody's talked about his talent, his skill. I mean, he's he's done kickboxing, uh, weightlifting, ballet. I mean, the dude is fluid. He's always been super fluid. I think he's fun to watch. But I also love him as an actor. I think he really has a lot of range. And I would have loved to have talked about something like Enemies Closer. Um, what was the jungle one that he did? Oh, my uh, God. I love that jungle one. Welcome to the jungle. Welcome I to love the jungle. That movie is not great, but it is hilarious. He is hilarious in it. Uh, he he can do comedy. But I went with, um, I think, I don't know. I, he's not in it as much as the other people in the film. But I think when he is in it, he steals it from everybody. And that's 2012's The Expendables 2. I think it is probably his best role as a villain. I think he's really good. And if you're going to put somebody up against Sylvester Stallone, you can't do better than uh, the muscles from Brussels here. I, I really love their their showdown and final fight sequence. And you get Scott Atkins and Jason Statham like kicking each other in the face by the helicopter. And then you got Stallone and Jean-Claude and they got big knives and they're kicking each other and punching each other. That that whole back part is fantastic. But he is a nasty villain. Uh, and, and I had so much fun with him in that role. So that was my number five pick. Nice. That's you know, that's how, that's how he sort of, how I recognized him from like, you know, video, he was the villain in uh, No Retreat, No Surrender. And yes, the uh, Corey Yoon film. What was the other? There was another movie where he played a villain. And the weird Black thing Eagle was, is that Shokasugi came out the same year, 1988. Black Eagle. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. He, definitely he was Black Russian. Eagle. Definitely Black Eagle. He was supposed to be Russian. What? Yeah. Anyway, um, but it was interesting because he had filmed Kickboxer first and Canon was like, we can't release this. He's awful for whatever reasons. And then those movies came out and people were like, who's this villain guy? He's pretty fantastic in his his butt and his kicks. And uh, then they ended up releasing, you know, Kickboxer and it was a sensation. Yeah. So, you know, Canon had the wrong take on him. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we got to release this. But um, I think that's why he's so appealing is that he's definitely very easy on the eyes. That ass. But he can also sort of make fun of himself. Right. He can. uh he, he can laugh at his own sort of craziness and act kind of weird. The Frenchiness of it all, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what so really much does better it. Than Seagal. Cause yeah. Seagal's like so uptight and so batshit crazy, but, and also like 
Stallone's like that too. They just take themselves so damn seriously. You're just like, yeah. come on, dude. You're making movies where guys can kick each other in the face or punch each other in the face. <laughs> Lighten up. Right. I agree. So Jose, what's your number four? We're, you, you had to throw this one on. Which one are you picking? Um, The first universal soldier. Ooh, um, okay. I think that was, that was great. I think that was the one where I sort of sat up and was like, you know, okay, beyond the action stuff, the man can act, right? It's not too hard to be a robot, but adding in the, you know, added layer of AI and feeling emotions and, you know, and and remembering your human past as a robot, I think he did really well with that. Um, and that, that picture's, it's just, it's fun. It's goofy. It's uh, Roland Emmerich directed it. Uh, Dean Devlin, it was one of their first like pairs uh, working together. Um, and it was just fun. And Rafe Muller was in it. Uh, Rafe Muller, he's, he's pretty scary. Um, big villain guy. And then like Dolph Lundgren, of course, was in it as well. It, it was a great performance. Wonderful. I, I think it's funny. Your number five and number four end the same way. Don't they have a big like karate kick in the face showdown at night while in the rain. rain while this thunderstorm's yes. going on? Absolutely. There's a Absolutely. trope for you early on, Jean-Claude. You got to have the, the final showdown in the rain with shirts off, getting all glistening. Yep. Kicking slow motion. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sammy, what's your number four? All right. So this one's kind of been mentioned. You know, I'm kind of playing it close to the vest here as we go along. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, 1993's Nowhere to Run. I'm going to go with that one. Oh, yes. So that's, so that's directed by Robert Harmon. A little earlier, we said Sheldon Lettich, but it's actually Robert Harmon who directed ah. the picture and a few other things. And that's got a story by Joe Esterhaus and uh, Richard Marquand. Um, it's not a well it is in some ways atypical van damme in that you do get the gratuitous butt shot i think he gets out of a lake in this one and so you get wet cheeks yeah and uh but it's got ted levine and a great bad guy uh performance got rosanna arquette she gets nude for those of us who love that um so you got all that going for it and it's it's kind of a romantic kind of i don't know a stranger in a strange town type of thing it's kind of and, a play uh, on Shane, right? Yeah, a yeah. Bit. It's kind of a yeah. play on Shane, yeah. And I think it's, it's very well Shane. shot. Yeah, yeah, I think it's very well shot. And and Harmon, I think, who is an underrated director, who just really never got his due, in my opinion. Um, it's got uh, one of the Culkins in it and stuff. But yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's, it's a pretty straight faced Van Damme performance. So I'm trying to mix it up here. I'm trying to get the funny, the ludicrous, the straight. This was the first time I thought, well, this guy can actually act. He's not. He's I agree. Not that bad. Yeah, and, and it's a very underrated film. I don't think enough people have seen that one. And I I it just snuck out. Like next thing you know, it it's on home media. And I don't even remember playing in the theaters um at that time where I lived and it and it just popped up. And I, I just yeah. feel like everybody just avoided it or or looked over it. But it's yeah, it's not wall to wall action. It it's got yeah. it's got really good story to it. It's between Universal Soldier and uh Hard Target. So it's kind of sets in a weird spot in his filmography because um, universal soldier was a big hit. Yep. Well, for what it was. And then this came out and it just kind of, like you said, just kind of snuck out and then hard target was really pushed. Uh, and then of course, time cop after that, but we'll talk more about those. I'm sure somebody's going to bring up another one of these. Films, oh, so. I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> All right, Brad, what's your number four? Well, my number four goes by uh, some different names internationally, like absence without leave or wrong a bet. It, it is 1990s Lionheart, oh, which boy. Uh, finds uh, 
Absence without leave. That is a terrible title. <laughs> yes, I know. Absence I know. without leave. Wow. This yeah, this one. This is attendance, but not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, Troy was talking about you know the underground fighting. This one is you know let's raise money for my brother through underground fighting. So. Yeah, I think I watched ass. the Arsenio Hall interview when this was coming out, and because I feel like Jean Claude was on Arsenio Hall like every other week in the nineties. Uh, that's that's how I spent yeah. my week watching Jean Claude Van Damme interviews. I I just went down the rabbit hole. That's a good pick. Uh-huh. All right, my number four. I'm sure it's going to show up on somebody's list. Uh, it's it's one. So what I <laughs> what I love about Jean Claude Van Damme movies is there is always a sequence that will always stand out in them. Whatever you say, you you can go, well, this one's totally garbage. And I would say, look, you can say 90 minutes of face kicking is garbage. You're wrong. But there's always one scene that you'll go, holy shit, did he do that? And how cool is that? So for me, and I really think this is actually a really good film, but it's 1994's Time Cop directed by Peter Himes. And the scene I'm talking about where I remember seeing this in theater and going like, holy shit, is when they're trying to electrocute him or something in the kitchen and <laughs> yes, he jumps kitchen. up and does those splits on the cabinet and you're like yeah. bare ass bare, bare ass. ass yeah and and close to bare ass i think yeah, yeah well, he's, he's like I mean, in some yeah. boxer briefs but yeah, he's, he's briefs. practically naked yeah. with those right. boxer I mean, briefs that's the way i spread my nutella if you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> But I'm telling I love that film. But when that happens, I swear <laughs> in the theater, there was an audible gasp and not just from the girls, but all from the guys like, holy shit, am I, it, wait, am I gay? I might be gay. Yes. <laughs> Cause that was fantastic. That's yeah, awesome. Um, but yeah, but can that wait, movie, can we get a time? Wait, I had the same wait. awakening. <laughs> time out. Time out. Time out. What? That's how I spread my <laughs> Okay, continue. Uh, That's a good one. Okay, well, uh, my number three was Time Cop. So, uh, yeah. What do you want to say about Time Cop? I mean, we're we're probably getting into the territory where we're going to be. No, I mean it's, it's yeah. I think that and Universal Soldier is kind of the the, the sci fi Jean Claude that I really dig. Uh, Universal Soldier was like the first one I, I wanted to put it on my list, but I just didn't have room for it. So, Time Cop was the kind of, the one I think is a little bit better in the sci-fi genre myself. So yeah, I, I agree yeah. with you. If, if I had to choose between them, I mean, I, although universal soldier, I know it's tough. Yeah, it is tough. Okay. Jose, now we're in your top three. So these were the three that you originally picked, right? Yes. Okay. So what's your number three? It was, it was time cop actually. <laughs> hey. All right. What do you, what do you want to say about time cop? Um, so I, I you know, I think it was, I want to say it was either on, I don't, I, maybe we can interview Jean-Claude Van Damme in the future. I don't know, but I feel like it was intentional that he stretches his acting in universal soldier. And then his next one, yes, (laughs) he can stretch a lot of things. Um, But after universal soldier, he does nowhere to run, which does have its action, but it's primarily a dramatic role. Right. Right. So I think it's like a it's a recasting like he's not just an ass kicker. He's sweet and emotional, (laughs) you know, has a soft and chewy center. And so, you know, I think that Time Cop was was kind of an extension of that because like his character has like a background and there's a romance and it's time travel and it's interesting. Um, It was based on a graphic novel. So you've also got a built in core audience that's going to come and see him and. And just the whole production was great. Ron Silver is insane. 
Um, it was super nice to see Mia Sarah, who was like, like the only things you know her from are, are what? Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Legend. But then it's like, what else did she do? Well, she did Time Cop, y'all. Like, yeah, and she, she was fabulous. So, um, and she then of course- She was Max Walker's uh, wife, son. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Melissa, wasn't it Melissa? Melissa? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, and uh, Gloria Rubin is in that as well. Who's, who shocked the hell out of me because there's a twist with her character. I'm sure everybody's seen it, so I'm not spoiling anything. She turns out to be part of a like a baddie, basically. Mm-hmm. But I've always appreciated her. She's interesting because she became an actress, right, obviously. But then she put her acting career on hold to go tour as a backup singer for Tina Turner for like a year and a half. Oh, so, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I've always appreciated Gloria Rubin. I love her. That's cool. All right. So we've got three votes for time cop. Um, Sammy, what's your number three? So this is why it got complicated for me. Okay. Okay. Cause I was like, what am I going to do? So I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay. Cheating's uh, fine. Number Cheating's three good. is a tie between death warrant and sudden death. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait, wait, come oh, on. Wow. The, the death, the death, the death duology here. Okay. Uh, yeah. One is a pretty great diehard ripoff. And the other is a pretty great prison movie with uh, Robert uh, Kilpatrick or Patrick Kilpatrick playing Sandman. And I uh, love his name. Yeah. <laughs> I love these two films. They they are of an era for me of Van Damme when he could do no wrong. And uh, I had to get him in there. I had to get it in there. I just had to, man. I had to cheat a little bit. No, Sudden Death. Uh, I watched that, I want to say, around Thanksgiving or something. Just kind of put it in again. And I forgot how much fun it is. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a diehard clone, and Powers Booth is fantastic in it. Yes. But it's got some beautiful photography in there. And it's uh, especially when Peter they get Himes into film. the rafters and stuff like that. It's it's yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah, it's a Himes film. So it's going to look good. He, he's a pretty good cinematographer as well as a director. So All right. I love me some Peter Himes. That, you know, Sudden Death almost it almost made my top three, but it did not. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I know I cheated, but I, I, I couldn't help it. That's okay. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to do two for any more. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. All right, Brad, you already said your number three was Time Cop. Uh, All right. So my number three. This is the one that surprised the heck out of me. And it was, I was so excited when I heard about it and started reading reviews about it and didn't know what I was going to get when I sat down to watch it. And I got to be honest with you, it kind of blew me away because I was always, I was always a big fan of his. But when he did this film, I'm like, holy cow, he just put it. He just put everything out there. And I'm talking about 2008's JCVD. So the entire setup of this is he plays himself and he's going through some struggles. Right. So he's trying to get his life back uh, to normal, get into the acting. He loses a part, I think, to Steven Seagal, which is kind of a fun inside joke. Yeah. Um, and then ends up being a uh, bank hostage. And then the cops on the outside actually think he's part of the whole, you know, robbery because he's, you know, on skid row from a finance perspective. And I got to tell you, that monologue that he gives, that single take monologue where he's kind of being lifted out of that environment and the raw emotion, because he's just talking about all the mistakes in his life and where he's at right now. Show me a better uh, action star who puts it all out like that in a scene. It, it doesn't exist. Like that, that is him through and through. And I am pissed that he just didn't get a ton of recognition awards and everything else for that film because he is so good at it. 
I believe that's like a six minute monologue. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. good. Um, and I, I just don't think you will see uh, actors within his genre be able to deliver that type of monologue, much less that that type of heart and emotion and just rawness in a performance. But yeah, um, yeah that was my that's, number three. That's one of those ones where, I mean, the monologue's almost better than the whole movie. <laughs> The I'm movie's fun. That. No, the movie's fun, know, but I you're right. Yeah. That that just stops everything. You get to that monologue and you're like, it's hard to recover from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a break in the fourth wall moment. It's a confessional moment. And it's a it's a great it, it's a great moment. We talked about that a long, long time ago. I think the, the kids I think the kids say it's meta. Um, <laughs> is, you know, is that what the kids are saying today, Jose? The kids are saying it's meta, but you know, kudos to him for not running away from his problems, right? I mean, yeah. when we look back at his filmography, and we'll do a little bit of that with this movie too, it's like, oh, well, he had a substance abuse problem, and not only that, he was kind of a diva and he was a, a douchebag. Um, he had like but, 17 different wives, he had yep. a lot of wives, exactly. Um, but you know, kudos to him for not running away from that. And imagine, you know, taking that material JCVD to him and being like, we want you to do this. You know, I imagine initially he was like, fuck now I'm not going to do it. Right. Um, but again, kudos to him for just, you know, examining his life and his choices and making it into art. It's actually a good choice, Troy. Yeah. I love excellent. That excellent. All right. We're down to the top <laughs> two. Jose. What? How do the uh, how do those kids spread their Nutella nowadays? You <laughs> don't want to know. Not not the way you do, Sammy. They're, yeah. they're not that flexible. <laughs> With a few TikTok dances. There you go. I think there's a couple TikTok dances. <laughs> uh, what's your number two, Jose? Hard Target. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Directed by Ooh. John Woo. John Woo's, um, of course, we all know that John Woo is a uh, Hong Kong director. Uh, directed some incredibly balls out action films overseas. Hollywood was just dripping to get him over here. Um, and what's strange is that like a lot of the, a lot of the Hong Kong directors who come to Hollywood, they either don't like the Hollywood system and they go back to Hong Kong or their movies just aren't a success. But this one, the stars kind of aligned. I don't know the, the box office on it, but it was dynamite. It was pretty fantastic. Uh, there's a New Orleans setting. It's wonderful. Um, uh, what's his face? He punches a goddamn snake. Sorry. What? <laughs> he punches a goddamn snake. He does do that. Yep. Yes. Um, the mummy, that actor, he's Arnold a fantastic Vosloo. villain. Arnold Voslo. Yeah, he's a fantastic villain. Um, and it, it it was all there. It was John Woo in a U.S. movie. You get the fluttering hair in slow-mo and the kicks and the arrows and the jumping around in slow-mo and the pigeons. It's wonderful. I love that. His 18, name is Chance. Yeah. And his like, name is Chance. My mama took one. $18 million budget and it made $75 million. It was a big hit. And I think Sam yeah. Raimi produced that. Him and... Uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think so. Yes. Universal. It was Universal pick. Uh, Robert Tapert. Robert Tapert. That's right. Good yeah, choice. Long time producer. Really good choice. I like it. I like it. All right, Sammy, what's your number two? Well, my number two is Hard Target. <laughs> wow. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think it, it it gets edged out by one movie, and uh, it probably doesn't take a genius to figure out what the one movie is going to be. But um, I, yeah, I love Hard Target. It's a great example too of not only bringing John Woo to America, uh, but it's also a great example of taking an action star who doesn't speak a lot of English 
throwing him into a quasi uh, strange area such as the the bayou uh, so he can partake in some of that weird French, although his Cajun is bizarre in that movie, to say the least. But John, we wouldn't know. So he's just kind of going with it. And there's slow motion arrows. There's Lance Hendrickson. There's Arnold Voslo, who I also adore. Uh, there's Wilfred Brimley, for Christ's sake. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot. <laughs> I mean, I had the most massive mustache outside of, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Sam Elliott or whatever. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, there's j- I think there's just a lot to love about that movie. And and there there was hope, I think, that Yancey Butler, was she would take off from that as well. And she never really kind of caught fire like she should have. I think she tried to do the Witchblade thing or something. She had she had a good film with Wesley Snipes, Drop Zone, which I really yeah. like a lot. Yeah, she was Oh, kinda, my God. Drop Zone was my jam. I, I used to watch Gary that movie Busey. on repeat. Yeah. It was wonderful. It's a fun film. Yeah. Yancey has works. those like crystal clear, like blue eyes. Blue that eyes, are just yeah. Like yep. you cannot. They're entranceing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She still that works. Which show was terrible. Yeah, I, I remember when she popped up in Kick-Ass. I was kind of surprised because she was in that. Oh, yeah, that's right. But she's, uh, she never really kind of took off the way I think that they kind of hoped she would. Yeah. Okay. I don't like uh, Natasha Hintridge, who has a tie to Street Fighter, which we'll talk about in a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, awesome. Trivia. I love also, it. we should say Arnold Voslo's name in, in Hard Target, Pick Van Cleef, is <laughs> one of the great bad guy names. I mean, come on. It is good. For real. It is good. It sounds like some kind of water pick or something that you buy on Amazon or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brad, what's your what's your number two? Well, mine is a small film called Hard Target. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, he punches a goddamn snake. Okay, guys. He punches a snake. <laughs> That's all you need to know. That's it? The greasy mullet is pretty do fabulous, you need too. More? Troy, do you need more? He punches a snake. <laughs> It's good. It's good. I'm going to tell you. you. Does he drive a convertible in hard times? Yes. 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 Well, he drives Yancey's convertible. Yeah. Yancey. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 Convertible is always a bad move for an action star, though, because you're leaving yourself really exposed. So anyway. Oh, okay. But the greasy mullet has to it's flow, gotta flow, man, as he's driving. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, my number two is not hard target. I, I hate to tell you this. Yeah. However, it has some commonality with the themes of Hard Target in that we got a chance for Ringo Lamb to come to the U.S. and direct a film. And I I'd sat down to watch this the other night because in, in my head, I'm like, I watch this film pretty regularly, but is it really in the top three Jean-Claude uh, movies? And I sat down to watch it again. I go, yes, Ringo Lamb pretty much delivers a solid 90s action film with a touch of Walter Hill. I really feel like he was borrowing from Walter Hill, especially some of the the Chicago stuff that they're shooting. And, you know, JCVD is running around kicking Russians in the face, which is awesome. Um, And it does a great job of a very serious, straight performance. And I was amazed. Like the thing that stuck out to me this time was, it's almost every 10, 15 minutes, there is a car chase scene. There is an action scene. He is kicking somebody in the face. It's nonstop. Uh, I actually think him and Natasha have a little bit of chemistry, too. It works. But, man, I got to tell you, I, I had a lot of fun watching that again. And I think it's another one that's really overlooked. I think a lot of people go to Hard Target. Did you say the title? Uh, it's Maximum Risk maximum from 1996. Risk? Okay. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Good good call. And we're back to Natasha Henstridge and Asian action directors that didn't make it in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's a solid Ringo Lamb film, and I, I think it's a it's a good starter if you like Maximum Risk and you and you want to see more films like that. Then you just head on over to Hong Kong, look up the Ringo Lamb films, and and you'll have a blast. But uh, I, I slept on that one for a long time. It's so good. In Maximum yeah. Risk. Yes. Yeah. Yep. There's some great stunt it's- work in it too. Well, there is great stunt work. It's weird. When I saw it in the theater, I just it felt like middling. Right. But the more that I watched it, the more I was like, you know, this is actually pretty good. You know, yeah. Yeah. Plus, he he uh, he and his stunt double fight in towels reminiscent of the red heat. Yes. um, Walter Hill scene. Um, So that that drew me. I mean, there was no Nutella spreading, but in the trailer, I saw him like (laughs) his towel, like half naked. So I was like, I'll go to that. I'll go to that. Plus, Natasha's in it. She's gorgeous. Yeah. So that that comes after his directorial debut, The Quest, which it's OK. I, I think it's a bit of a dud, but uh, it's OK. It's a tournament film. I he love tried. The Quest. Yeah. He, he over directed The Quest. Yes. But that that begins that interesting time where people both like him and loathe him. Yes. Because uh, he does double team and knock off and stuff like Legionnaire, which Legionnaire I was really excited about because it was the first film really straight to DVD that I ever bought. Oh, okay. It was really straight nice. DVD, and it had like four commentary tracks on it or some craziness, and I bought it immediately for like 30 bucks, and uh, I was just like, oh, man, I spent 30 bucks on Legionnaire, and I'm going to watch it, and I made myself watch that like 10 times, and I still don't <laughs> think Legionnaire is a very good film. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's a, it's weird. I mean, um, Choi Hark, John Woo, Ringo Lang, I, I I don't think people understand that without Jean-Claude Van Damme, I don't think we would have had the... Asian influence on our action films from nineties on without Jean-Claude kind of getting paired up with these directors. Yeah. Um, Troy does. Troy does knock off and double team, right? Yeah. And I love double double team is so bonkers. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous, but I love the fact that you get, I mean, you get a climax with Mickey Rourke, Jean-Claude and a tiger with a bunch of landmines around. It's fantastic. And, and there's some great action choreography in it too, but the whole, the whole story is just bonkers. But um, the other thing I really like about Maximum Risk is you get to the end and you have all these firefights. Jean-Claude fires like one shot, maybe two shots, and he's hitting people left and right. He just doesn't miss. And I, I love that. I mean, you you get John Woo where bullets are just flying. Like the it, the ammunition is plentiful, right? And then you get to Maximum Risk and he's like, oh, I'm going to shoot that guy and he's dead. Oh, I'm going to shoot this guy. He's dead. I mean, he, he like maybe goes through half a clip. Uh, and you get that last sequence in the meat factory where he's hanging upside down, shooting the corrupt FBI guy. It's, it's so cool. I love it. I love that film. Yeah. All right, Jose, All right. what what's your number one? All right. This is going to be a controversial choice <clears throat> because you're going to be like out of all of them. This is the one. Um, but we are back again to Chinese action directors that did not make it in Hollywood. <laughs> okay. Um, it is one of the Choi Hark films. It has a connection to Street Fighter because Steven D'Souza wrote it. And it is knockoff, actually. With nice. Rob Schneider. Uh, so the thing about knockoff that I think is incredible is that, you know, through and through, it is a Hong Kong film. 100%. It is an yes. absolute Hong Kong film. Rob Schneider plays the sort of idiot that can't, like, find his way out of a paper bag who is the hero's best friend. He's the Caucasian um, Eric Tsang. Huh? He's the Caucasian Eric Tsang from Hong Kong. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Um, 
And it's, you know, it starts with a bizarre rickshaw race and like with Rob Schneider, like inside, like whipping Jean-Claude's butt with an eel. And he's like, you know, and he's like, uh, what does he say? Like, yeah, get that perfect ass move in or something. And it's like, (laughs) this is tailor made for me. Um, But just the whole story, it's like it's very Hong Kong. It's super convoluted. I mean, people are flying around on wires and there's like. You know, cars going through, uh, you know, storefronts. Isn't there, there nano bombs or something too? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, it, it reminded me of like the Jackie Chan movies where like the stunts were just absolutely insane and off the wall. And then you combine that with Choi Hark and his, you know, clever photography. I mean, there's like, you know, shots through holes and like, you know, the inside of shoes coming apart and just it's just so bonkers. I think it's a misunderstood movie. And I, and like I said, I think that people just don't give it the credit that, that it really deserves. I mean, it certainly wasn't like double team. It was almost like Choi Hark was like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to make a Hong Kong film with American actors and I don't care. And I don't know. I loved it. It was amazing. That is a great, My favorite. I, hey, that's a great choice. I don't think that's controversial at all. I'm with you hundred percent. That movie's amazing. <laughs> it's definitely top 10 for me. I love it. And uh, Sam Hung was the uh, Sam Hung yes. was the second unit stunt coordinator, mm-hmm. the fight coordinator. I would love to see a director's cut because apparently they cut a lot of the fight scenes. That movie um, has got a, I think, a Mill Creek Blu-ray release where it's only like a two-channel audio, and the picture mm-hmm. quality is just maybe a step above DVD. I, yeah. I mean, that one in Double Team deserves some love, man. I, they, they need director's cuts with commentary, Dolby Atmos, 4K, the yes. whole nine yards. All of it. <laughs> Vinegar syndrome. Better get on that. Uh, all right, Sammy, what's your number one? All right. So I wish I could be controversial and fun. I wish I could you say could, you're going to be vanilla, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I'm going to be very, I mean, it's, it's a movie that's near and dear to me. I consider it maybe the second best tournament film. Uh, maybe the first one being master of the flying guillotine, but I love blood sport. I've loved blood sports since I was, a, I saw it. I watched it a thousand times on cable. Uh, the minute home media hit and people were buying VHS tapes. I think I burned through three VHS copies of J of uh, JCVD of uh, Bloodsport. <laughs> I've owned it in just about every format. I just think it's the perfect Van Damme film. He plays this kind of, he's tough, but he's also kind of naive. Uh, it also has some of his best, action acting in some of his worst action acting and i love it for that i love the slow-mo bruce lee type stuff that they do i love the the whininess when he's training and the uh the introduction of his splits by stretching him across bamboo and doing everything like that yep hit his legs i just think it's a great example of the action star film and it was you know maybe it was his coming out party in a lot of ways it certainly was but it just I just think it works. It still works. It's funny. It's exciting. It's got Bolo. It's got a lot of great people in it, actually. And I just think it's 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 like the perfect, it's almost the perfect tournament film. I, like I said, Master Flying Guillotine I might like more, but that's actually that's funny because Master Flying Guillotine kind of has some Street Fighter influence or it influenced Street Fighter. Street Fighter yeah. Yeah. But uh, so it's kind of weird how this all comes back around. But like, you know, pound for pound, this is one of the best tournament films, I think. I, I just love it because none of the tournament fighters are like, absolutely ludicrous either they're all they all seem semi-realistic if that makes sense well it's based on 
legendary Frank Dukes. Yeah, which, if you <laughs> if you want some fun, go check <laughs> out Don the Dragon Wilson and his Facebook post because he is taking Frank Dukes to town over yeah. the whole legitimacy and the Kumite and everything else, and it is awesome. Frank Dukes is a joke. I mean, let's let's just put it out there that that whole yeah. Kumite and everything that Bloodsport was based off of is absolutely ridiculous. And even the guy who wrote the article, I think, in uh, Black Belt Magazine, who interviewed Frank Dukes, came back and said, ooh, I, I really screwed up publishing that article because <laughs> I guarantee none. And Frank Dukes has, like, books out there claiming that he worked for the CIA and did all this. Uh, spe- yeah. But, yeah. See, that guy's wow. saying all that. That guy's saying all that. But see, he, what he doesn't understand is he actually did the world a service because he brought the world blood sport. He did. Um, but yes, that's I, all the silver lining, Nutella, silver lining. You just got to go down the Frank Dukes rabbit hole and it's hilarious, especially, uh, watching Don, the dragon Wilson just tear him apart. But yeah. I, I, it's, it's funny. They did a, uh, Mondo Baltimore did a showing of blood sport and, uh, my kids had never seen it. And this is right before COVID happened and they were showing it at the parkway. So it's the old theater. It's built in like 1917 sold out audience, right? One of the best screenings I've ever seen of Bloodsport Bloodsport, because everybody's laughing, they're cheering. And as soon as it's over, my daughter's like, that is the most misogynistic film I think I have ever seen. And I loved it. It was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's misogynistic. Maybe it is misogynistic. It's certainly overly macho. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. No lies detected. It's certainly, it's certainly <laughs> macho. It also, I think what Sheldon Lettich, did he not write that too? Yeah, he wrote it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Brad, what's your number one? Well, I too like a good tournament film. Um, my go-to was always enter the dragon because that was the first one I saw. The second one I saw was blood sport. Ironically, Bolo was in both of those. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah blood sport is, it's probably my second favorite uh, tournament fighting movie. Um, yeah, it's it's great for all the reasons Sammy said. But, you know, mine just happened to be because I was a Bruce Lee kid. You know, you see Enter the Dragon. And they're like, hey, watch this French guy do all this stuff. And you're like, oh, OK. And, you know, it's a different movie. But, you know, the concept of the tournament is always fascinating to me. So blood sport. OK, and actually, actually, I was wrong. That is the canon picture that they made and yeah. they were like, we can't release this because this French man is too wacky. Right. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then no, retreat, after that, no right? surrender and black Eagle came out and they were like, Oh, he's a hit. We got to do it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. They actually went back to Van Damme and asked him to help edit blood sport. Yep. Uh, which he accentuated his stuff, which again, the fetishization of his moves is it's important for these. I mean, think about all the action stars you really love. They we we stick on certain things, right? Uh, Donnie Yen, it's a certain kind of kick. Uh, Jackie Chan, it's all the things he does. I mean, we these, this can go on and on. I could talk about this forever, but that is the important thing. And I think Van Damme knew that. I think he had been around Hollywood enough to know that he needed a trademark. He needed something to make him stand out. Yeah, no, I agree. I I I think people forget how good the music in Bloodsport is for an eighties film too. It's got yeah. great theme song. It's it's always got some just uh, I don't know. It's it's got a good groove always happening during the um, training sequences and the fighting sequences. I I I do love that film. It's a lot of fun. I want to switch my number one and two. Uh, some of the trivia on uh, Bloodsport. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has described Bloodsport as his favorite film. 
Well, I mean, it's it's a very right wing film. <laughs> it is a very right right wing film, Americana, hurrah! But uh, mm-hmm. let's, let's don't, don't don't let that color your yeah. yeah. Let's moving on. Moving on. on. So. You guys were almost right. Um, there is a right answer. There is a right answer to the greatest Jean-Claude Van Damme film of all time. You barely missed the mark. I think all of you put as number two 1993's Hard Target as the second best. Gentlemen, you're 100% completely wrong. Hard Target is the greatest Jean-Claude Van Damme film ever made. And allow me to uh, list a few reasons why. First, you have John fucking Wu. John Woo, all right, he, and and I would go on the record to say that Hard Target is probably John Woo's third best film, and I would rank them Hard Boiled the Killer, Hard Target, and then A Better Tomorrow. I think Hard Target um, kind of brings all of the face things off. that, uh, and Face Off probably good for, um, Hard Target is just, I want his face, the best oh. American representation of Hong Kong gun fu done by the master himself. Next, you get one of the greatest cinematic mullets in history with just the right amount of grease so that the sunlight will glisten. And man, when he drives that convertible, does it flow? It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Third, as Brad has pointed out like several times, he punches a fucking snake. He slaps it around, punches it, and then leaves it as a booby trap. He like takes the rattle part <laughs> off of it and leaves it as a booby trap to take out one of the guys. There's, there's not a better i mean rambo couldn't even do that crap but the chance he he does that then uh, it's perfect okay he does yeah. a flippy like several flippies with a silver shotgun tell me something that looks cooler you can't because that is the coolest he shoots a guy like 15 times and then <laughs> slow motion kicks him in the face i, I mean at that point you're but about sure, ready why to- is this what kind of name is chance uh, his mama took one. <laughs> my mama took one. My mama took one. Oh, and I'm not done. There's so much face kicking and slow motion face kicking yeah. in this film. Yeah. And there's a point where his face kicking is so good. Like when he's about ready to kick somebody in the face, he's got that trench coat and he kind of pulls the trench coat back. But instead of like revealing a gun that you would in a Western, you're like, oh, look at that thigh. That thigh is dangerous and he's going to kick some motherfucking faces. It's so awesome. Then you get guys, you get balancing on a motorcycle where he flips over a car, then shoots the motorcycle to blow up the car. Freaking amazing. And that's the sequence. So there's, you know, action here, here and there in the beginning. As soon as that sequence happens, it's nonstop action. It's wall to wall action. Like you have better use the restroom because uh, from that point on, you can't leave. It's just your eyeballs are being exposed to like the greatest action that America had to offer in 94. You get Lance Henriksen and Arnold Vosloo as some amazing bad guys. And, um, you know, Lance Henriksen just chews the scenery up. And I love that little one shot gun that he has. (laughs) It's the most stupid thing a villain should have, but he makes it so cool. Right. And then you get Wilfred Brimley doing action scenes, Wilfred diabetes, Brimley is shooting people in the face with arrows and it's so badass. (laughs) Gentlemen, I rest my case. You guys are totally wrong. Hard Target is the greatest Jean-Claude Van Damme film. I I would even go on record to say that in 1993, that was probably the greatest movie ever made. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure there was another Jackie Chan film that was released around there, but I don't think 
it hit the levels of hard target. Um, so yeah, I punches I, a goddamn snake. Punches exactly, Brad. So um, <laughs> I'm glad you guys put it in your top three, but you're wrong. It should be number one. You know, one of the great things about action cinema also is character names are always great. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like like Chance Boudreau and uh, Jack Rubido and uh, some of these other characters. He played <laughs> Vincent Brazil. He played in Assassination <laughs> Games. Yeah, yeah. But possibly my favorite uh, title for any of his characters is uh, in Monaco Forever. He played Gay Karate Man. <laughs> so uh, I need to <laughs> I need to check out uh, Monaco Forever. I've never seen that. Uh, uh, I'm adding that to my watch list. Sounds awesome. Gay Karate Man. Yeah, Gay Karate Man. So I don't know. <laughs> you know what? Like we see how he gets that there. title. Yeah, we have yeah. spent an hour talking about. Yeah, the Time am- Guy is losing amazing. his goddamn. Oh my god, Time Guy! You, Time Guy hates oh us now. God, wow. And this is here's, not. Here's, here's what I'll say to Time Guy: Go rent Time Cop. <laughs> <laughs> he can this, jump to the future to yeah. hear. The Street Fighter. <laughs> I'm telling you, this Watch is not the first time we're going to have a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie on the show. I, I guarantee Knockoff will be coming up um, shortly at some point because that movie's freaking amazing. But let's talk right. about Street Fighter. Brad, you usually start off with the numbers on this one and the critical reviews. I think this one, we, we, we are putting it on a show called Not a Bomb, not because of its financial numbers. Yeah. I, I think it did okay. It really comes down to... The ratings and the reviews when this thing came out in 94, right? Yeah, yeah. So released uh, two days before Christmas in 1992. So that's uh, December 23rd, 1994. Sorry, 1994. uh, With a budget of $35 million. Makes domestically, makes $33 million. Internationally, makes 66 for a grand total of $99 million. Um, Opening weekend makes uh, 6.8. Um, yeah. So Troy, you hinted at it. It's Rotten Tomatoes score is anyone have a guess? Anyone have a guess? 25. 12%. 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. 12%? Wow. Yes. 12. No. That's harsh. The aggregate is wrong. The the audience score of over 50,000 reviews, 20%. 20%. Yes. People, what what's wrong with you? Internet, uh, you're in timeout. But Troy, the only really review that we care about around oh, here that's right. is the Christian website oh, movie boy. guide. That's right. Which <laughs> after doing a little bit of due diligence, which means the bare minimum, I found out <laughs> the rating score. We the had a question score, about the rating score last because every time we, we would reference yeah. everything's in the negative, which makes sense. Given we talked about Predator 2 and stuff like that. So this is the dumbest rating score I have possibly ever heard. It goes from a plus four to a minus four. A plus four is exemplary. So it's biblical, usually Christian worldview with no questionable elements whatsoever. Uh, Yes. So, you know, those Christians are always exemplary. Yes. Hmm. I like my movie at a negative four then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. plus one, three. The one good thing about Christians is they prove themselves over and over and again to be yes. necessary. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, plus three is moral. Some minor questionable elements. That's it. Okay. Uh, plus two is good. Moderately questionable elements. Um, a plus one is worthwhile. Caution advised for young children. Okay. Here's where we get into the good stuff. <clears throat> Minus one, caution. 
Caution advised for older children, including teenagers and sensitive adults. I'm sensitive. Sensitive adults. Yeah, I think I qualify as a sensitive I'm adult. I'm a sensitive yeah. adult. I agree. Okay. <laughs> Minus two. Extreme caution. Extreme caution for older teenagers and adults. <clears throat> Ooh. All right. These are my two favorites because they're the best. <laughs> Minus three is excessive. Excessive sex, violence, immortality, immorality, I'm sorry, and worldview problems. Sometimes excessive content such as violence is in other redemptive movies such as Saving Private Ryan, but these are movies to avoid. Oh, the negative threes. Worldview problems makes a a minus three? Look, we can't... We can't have worldview problems in our films, Jose. No. That's just no. You can't well, question. I mean, it can't. That that is the Christian mythos, and if we don't talk about it, everything's okay. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> the Earth might be flat. Fuck science. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, a minus four is abhorrence, intentional, <laughs> intentional <laughs> blasphemy, intentional, <laughs> as opposed to the unintentional <laughs> blasphemy, evil, gross immortality, and and or worldview problems to be avoided i say you're wrong movie guide minus four movies are what i want the most that's my jam right there yeah. minus four yo i don't yeah. i'm pretty so sensitive i like the minus two minus three i have four okay. is too harsh yeah so i wonder, I wonder so, where death wish falls and all that <laughs> uh well we can, <laughs> minus we get that, five we get um <laughs> anyone guess on movie guide where street fighter might fall minus two uh, I'm, I'm going to go minus three. Minus one. It is a minus two. Jose is the one. Oh, Ooh. hey. Uh, Do I a- know my morality? <laughs> <laughs> no, Here you don't. Go. That's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> the content for Street Fighter. Subtle moral worldview with some new age undertones. New, new age? age? What? <laughs> the new age stuff is gets me. Yeah. Huh? Again. <laughs> Okay. Where's the new age? <laughs> Probably the you bison know? stuff. He's trying to create yeah. his new world order. Yeah. Stuff like you that. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Goddamn globalist. Okay. Uh, <laughs> nine obscenities, five miles, one vile reference to masturbation, one obscene gesture, bison not coming for you. Um, <laughs> one scene where character gets. <laughs> what is the, I'm still trying to think of what okay. the masturbation reference is. I know what it is. I'll tell you in a second. Okay. okay. One scene where character gets unattractively whipped violently. Unattractive. So if it were attractive, it would have helped the score. Because yeah, he's a fat. Because he's a fat man. It's unattractively <laughs> whipped oh violently. Oh my god. Oh, we're god. body shaming so in these reviews. Yeah. So if it's John Vlad Van Damme and those two hams, it would have been fine. But no. <laughs> uh, that Reap. is offensive. Yeah, three men get their necks broken by evil character. Lots of hand-to-hand combat. I don't know if I would say lots of hand-to-hand no, would, combat. No. Yeah. Uh, man fires. Oh, man gets fried on electric fence. Character dies from electrocution on control board. Character unknowingly stages own death. Few sounds of necks being broken and lots of machine gun fire. And characters working for bad guys for money. Characters working for bad guys without reeling that they are the bad guys. No sense of wrong. <laughs> Kidnapping hostages for blackmail of world. Three references to revenge portrayed as being okay. Man forced to be <laughs> man forced to work for evil upon threat of death. Characters running guns for bad guys. Bad guys stealing from each other. Oh, just <laughs> man. 
I guess I can see the reference is in the whipping scene where he says, uh, Oh yes. You'd be, he tur- just give me 30 days, Sammy. If we're in a jail cell together, give me 30 days. I'll jerk oh, you off. Oh, <laughs> that's right. He says, he says, Hey Honda, give me a hand. He goes, he hasn't been whatever. And you're already asking for that. And he's it's like been two days. He's like, give me yeah. 30 days. And, yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. So scientifically, <laughs> we're all just 30 days from being gay. Apparently. You know, whatever. Hey, uh, um, I don't know. It's it's a one viewing of time cop. <laughs> <laughs> That's what did it for me. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, the films that you could have seen. December. Sorry, was there blasphemy mentioned in there? Because I do remember. Isn't there? Oh yes. Of, okay. I, I thought. Yeah, I thought yes. You, at the very end, he definitely talks about the. You know. Yeah. Keep your own God, for I behold yeah. as he fell from yep. heaven. All yep. That yes. Stuff. Yep. 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 I followed Mr. Crowley, or I don't know, whatever. Um, Mr. Crowley? Oh, my God. He doesn't say that. Um, all right. Films you can see in December 1994. <laughs> We've got Trapped in Paradise. Ooh. Disclosure. Disclosure. Loved it. Demi Moore. Dumb and Dumber. Ugh. Speechless. Little Women. Richie Rich. <clears throat> Legends of Ouch. the Fall. Speaking of hams, Legends of the Fall. Yeah. Hello, yeah. Brad Pitt. Yep. Uh, no one's fool. IQ, the Jungle Book, and the Madness of King George. Uh, hmm. Wow. Wait, which Jungle Book? Which is the same? That Jason Sam Scott Neal? Lee, the Disney one. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It would have to be Madness of King George. Uh, Purple Piss. That's uh, a. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, <sighs> that's okay. a good lineup. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Jose, we asked you this week good, to kind of good lineup. Thanks to uh, kind of talk about the folks behind the camera, because if anybody's going to drop any trivia or knowledge on the people making the film, it's going to be you. Right. I mean, you, you blow us away every time. So we, we were like, just go for it, man. Tell us all about what happened behind the screen on this one. All right. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to do this really quickly. Um, OK, so <clears throat> time guy just tapping his watch. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on. Time, come time on. guy's like. Tenez is never quick. Um, okay, so <laughs> not with Nutella, not with Nutella spreading. So anyway, here we go. Is this the movie podcast is written, now directed- a negative three or four no, yet? We're, we're, we're going to get to a negative four before the end of this okay, show. Okay, okay, just make sure. Oh, right. we'll get there. Um, all right, so the movie, the movie is written and directed by one Stephen E. D'Souza, who, if you ask me, I think he probably created the 1980s action cinema language, right? He is responsible for films like Die Hard, 48 Hours, um, two Schwarzenegger films, Commando, The Running Man. And so when you look at that, I mean, his stock and trade is mixing action with humor and whether that's one-liners or finding the funny situation in a violent situation, right? Sully, I'll kill you last. Or, you know, what is the the running man, Maria Conchita Alonso? Because there's nothing funny about a fuzz man with a batrip's ass or whatever. <laughs> wow. Do you like my imitations? That was anyway, so good. That was so good. good. He, um, <laughs> he is also the screenwriter of films like Jumping Jack Flash, Hudson Hawk, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Judge Dredd. Ricochet, which is under undervalued, if you ask me. That's the Russell Mulcahy, Denzel mm-hmm. Washington, serial John killer, Lithgow. bummer thing. Yep. Oh, um, and then he has a story credit for Lara Croft, Cradle of Life. Also, 
um, wrote Knockoff, which we talked about with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then he also dove a little bit into horror, a little um, scene film called Bad Dreams, yes. which oh. um, I don't think many people have seen that, but it's really one of my favorites. It's a ripoff of that movie, Phobia, the John Richard, Houston movie, but whatever, Richard, it's fine. It's great. Richard Lynch film, right? Richard yeah. Lynch. Is yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jennifer Rubin from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so interesting thing about Steven D'Souza is he hails from Philadelphia um, and he was a published author for like PBS, New York Times premiere, and he really wanted to be a writer. So the way that he did this was that he went out to L.A. Um, he happened to have been on like a game show. <laughs> and then he used that sort of like appearance to then use contacts like he had a contact at the Merv Griffin show to be like, hey, set me up with producers. I want I want to get my script ideas and my stuff out there and I want to do stuff. So although we know him for all these movies that he's written and obviously he directed this one, he also directed, I think, one other film as well. But he started basically with some very memorable television shows. He started as a a writing editor and a a supervising producer or producer on certain shows like Knight Rider. He was the showrunner for Spirit, the Spirit Pilot with Sam Jones, who played The Flash. He also um, worked on several V episodes as well. And he was the creator, writer and EP for Powers of Matthew Starr, which is one of my one of my favorite shows. Um, that I loved as a kid. Super Carrier, in, uh, Adventure Incorporated with uh, Michael Bean. Um, that was a syndicated show. And then the animated uh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. So the man has had his fingers in a lot of things. And he talks a mile a minute. The commentary on the Mill Creek um, uh, Street Fighter Blu-ray is absolutely amazing. I mean, it's a port over from the old DVD. Right. Um, but he's just, I mean, He's wonderful. I love him. I love him. He's great. Um, It's produced. This is a joint production by Edward Pressman, who's a very prolific producer. Um, He basically is the heir to Pressman Toy Company, um, but he used his uh, great money and responsibility um, to basically just produce and help foster a lot of talent. So he works a lot with like Abel Ferrara, Oliver Stone, but he's also credited with like, you know, um, helping De Palma, Terrence Malick, Jason Reitman come up in the ranks. He also single-handedly picked Alex Proyas to direct The Crow, um, which was made around the same time as, as Street Fighter. Um, and, I mean, he basically got his career based on The Crow. Alex Proyas is an Australian director. His his films are pretty interesting. You guys should do a show on some of his movies because they, they kind of bomb, and I don't know why, because... Gods of, Gods of Egypt has always been one we want to circle back yep. to. So that's not, on the list. Yep. Yep. I love that movie. <laughs> I have the 3D Blu-ray. You not should su- not be surprised. Not, not surprised, um, yeah. It is also co-produced by Capcom. So they basically took the idea to Steven D'Souza and they financed the whole thing. So whether it was a success or a bomb, pretty much Capcom was going to take the hit for it. Right. Um, and the story goes, as the story goes, um, they called up D'Souza and they say, hey, the Capcom people are in town. We want you to do a pitch for a movie. And he's like, OK, great. When is it? And they're like, it's tomorrow um, or like a day and a half later. So D'Souza stays up all night, does the pitch, walks in and says, here's my pitch. This is what I envisioned for the whole thing. And I want to direct it. And they were like, 
sold, but you got to put all 16 characters into it. So we'll get to that uh, later. Music is by Graham Ravel. He's a great composer. Uh, he wrote um, the scores for like The Saint, Tomb Raider, Dead Calm. He's actually a Kiwi. People misidentify him as an Australian, but he's New Zealand. Um, the production designer is William Krieber. Uh, he has won or I'm sorry, he has been Oscar nominated for his production design on like the Poseidon Adventure, the Towering Inferno. Um, and he's produced, I mean, he's been a production designer for like a ton of really sort of like seminal films and, and television shows. So, so like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea um, and then Planet of the Apes. He did the art direction and all through the sequels, the Mod Squad. Um so the movie has an unusual pedigree, right? Considering that it's born of a video game. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and th- so, and then our DP, the cinematography is by William Fraker. Um, he is uh, he is a multiple Oscar nominee for films like Murphy's Romance, War Games, Spielberg's 1941, Heaven Can Wait, Looking for Mr. Goodbar. He has an ASC Lifetime Achievement Award, and he won the uh, National Society for Film Critics Best Cinematography for Steve McQueen's Bullet. He has over 54 credits for cinematography to his name. Listen to some of these movies. Rosemary's Baby, Rancho Deluxe, Jeff Bridges is Naked in it. It's one of my favorite movies. which Um, (laughs) Which we're covering next week on the GGTMC. Excellent. Excellent. I will definitely be listening to that. I love Rancho Deluxe. It has some issues, but I love it. Um, Exorcist 2, The Hollywood Knights, Tombstone, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. The man, Fraker is a genius and he shot the hell out of this movie. It looks wonderful. Um, And then just really, really quickly, you talked about the costume designer. That's Deborah Kramer. She doesn't have a lot of credits to herself, but you, but Brad, you had mentioned the um, bison outfit. And that actually was specifically designed by one Marilyn Vance, also known as Marilyn Vance Straker. If you IMDb her, she's done costumes for like practically everything, but she's most known for her work on Pretty Woman, the the great red dress that she wore, the like hooker outfits and stuff that Julia Roberts was wearing. Um, so she's known for that. Charlie Picherny is the second unit director. He's a stunt guy. Uh, he is basically a stunt legend. He single-handedly, I think, created some of the best action for films. Um, he started in television, so Knight Rider, The A Team, Heart to Heart, all those all those action shows that you saw. He was behind the stunt coordination for that, and then he just basically went off to movies and did Second Unit. I mean, anything you any big action movie you can think of, he probably was the stunt coordinator for. So I would just say, everybody, IMDb him. And then just a couple more weird shout outs. The makeup, the makeup artist is actually a man named Zoltan Elik. Um, he's a Hungarian. Yes. Um, interestingly enough, he has done the makeup for a lot of the Van Damme movies, but he is most known for winning the Oscar for the makeup in Mask with Eric Stoltz and Cher. Sure, yeah. And he created the makeup for Max Headroom, which, you know, the young kids don't know Max Headroom, but Max Headroom was like a huge thing for 80s. me. Um, completely my jam, but Zoltan Elik, he's Hungarian. Um, he's a wonderful makeup artist, Star Trek nemesis, Godzilla, Independence Day. Those are some of his other makeup credits. Um, and my last shout outs are to the stunt people. So there's two personnel that I want to point out. One is uh, the Raul Julia stunt double is a gentleman named Darko Tuscan, or maybe it's Darko Tuscan. Um, 
Again, he's done a ton of stunt films, stunts, stunt coordination. He's probably best known as one of the two stunt doubles for Keanu Reeves in the Matrix films. So obviously the one that everybody knows is Chad Stahelski, but Darko was the one who, if Chad got you know injured, he would basically take over. Um, and then the other stunt person to really, really shout out is Mr. Mark Stefanich. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Stefanich sounds like a Russian patronomic. So the itch means child of, and then Stefan is his father's name, Stefanich, right? So Mila Jovovich, daughter of Jovo. Anyway, so Mark Stefanik is an ex-Navy um, SEAL, basically. So I'm sure he has some secrets and would have to kill you if he divulged them. <laughs> but Stefanik has been the longtime stunt double for Van Damme, starting with the twins movie, Double Impact. Mm -hmm. um, and then he doubled him basically in every feature after that. Universal Soldier, Nowhere to want, Run, Hard Target. He is the guy on the motorcycle. No, that, that was, uh, that, that's incorrect. That was Jean-Claude Van Damme. It was not. That, that it was, was totally the fantastic Mark Stefanich. Nope, that was Jean-Claude. Um, he is the double here. <laughs> um, actually, if you watch um, In Sudden Death, there are times where uh, Mark looks directly at the camera and you kind of still think it's Van Damme. Um, <laughs> but he doubled him basically was his mainstay double for quite some time. So he is amazing. I love him. Okay. I, you, you didn't drop one name and I, and I, I always like the, which you, name you do all of these. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I hate doing this section after hearing you do it. Cause I will never get to the amount of detail that you get to, but I will say you left one, probably the most important name of the people working behind the scenes on this one, buddy. Well, tell me who the controller was. Troy. Oh, okay. So here's the interesting thing about that name. Yes. First of all, I thought you were going to say this. <laughs> The second second assistant director is James <laughs> McTeague, who went on to run second unit on a bunch of action films and direct V for Vendetta and Ninja yep. Assassin. Yep. But that's not who you're that's talking not about. Who you're I'm talking, talking about, about Benny the Jet Urquidez. Benny the Jet Urquidez. Who who was basically hired as the fight trainer for the cast. Correct. Yeah. Um, so he was not the he was not the the fight coordinator. He basically trained the cast and yeah. he is featured in, in the, in the movie as well. Yes. Um, but what's sort of briefly. interesting, what's that? He's in there briefly, right? Just in the back of the, he's in a couple mostly. of scenes. He's, he's actually in several scenes. Yeah. He's just kind of like hanging out in, in like several scenes. It's kind of bizarre. Plays the well, he's, he's, gang he's member. A, yeah. He's got what's such that? a unique face. He has a very, probably from getting busted up from all that boxing, kickboxing and stunts. Right. Um, but I think there was a problem with him because he thought that the fight scenes were going to be one way. So he trained all the actors in, in a certain type of martial arts. And then the producers came back to him and they were like, you know, everybody has a different fight style. And by then they were already like a quarter into the production and they were like, we, we can't change the fight style. What are you talking about? It gets even crazier than that. So we'll get to yeah, that in a I minute. Know. Yes. It's, oh, so you're almost there, but yeah. Benny, the Jedder Kidas which uh, famously fought Jackie Chan twice um, in Dragons Forever and Wheels on Meals. Plus he's in Those Rose are House. the best action scenes in martial arts history. Um, and then one last thing, sorry. So in, in there's a part where they're in like Bison's tent and then like the, the girls come in and they're doing yep. like the Egyptian dancing. If you look really closely, one of them is Zoe Saldana. She's not credited, but it's, it's her. Really? It's her. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Really? So I'm going to, that Jose, just knocked it out of the ballpark once again. Every freaking time, you're you're a genius. 
Um, Thanks. I'm, it was I'm very gonna, last minute, though. So <laughs> last minute. I don't want to see full minute. Okay. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Uh, I'm just going to run through the cast real quick. We talked ad nauseum about Jean Claude Van Damme. Just you know, keep this in perspective. Street Fighter was 1994, the same year as Time Cop. Uh, they had just finished Nowhere to Run in '93. And after Street Fighter, he went on to do Sudden Death in 95. So chronology-wise, that's where Street Fighter sits. He was asked also before this, he chose this over Mortal Kombat. He was supposed to play Johnny Johnny Cage. Cage. He took this instead. Correct. Mortal Kombat was on its heels. They knew it was in production. It was to be released in 95. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it came out a year after. This is Raul Julia's last movie. So he died, it was about five or six weeks after the release of this. After production, production. or after production. That's right. Um, He plays our main villain, Bison. And again, in context, Raul had done a few TV films, but his last theatrical film leading up to this was Adam's Family Values in 93. And Sammy, I I feel like actors and stuff like that are are your forte. So jump in at any point in time, lead us down the rabbit hole. Uh, And Brad, you can tell us if these are screen accurate representations, too, because we're going to we're going to talk about (laughs) spoiler alert. They are not. Yeah. Okay, we've got yeah. uh, as Chun Li, Ming Na Wen, uh, Miss Mulan herself, and Actually, uh, you know what? She's about as close as it gets. Is that yeah. the accurate one? Okay, I'm uh, in love with Ming Na Wen. I have been since I saw her for the first time. Yeah, I mean, she's been she in every major Disney franchise at this point now, right? Between a Disney yeah. princess, she's Star Wars, sixty years old, and she looks no different than she did back then. <laughs> she's gorgeous, man, and she, I really think she's a talented actress. Like, she's super yep. good. Yeah. Um, came to fame in the joy luck club and now yeah. current. And then, as you said, two Disney franchises, uh, the Mandalorian and agents of shield um, and Mulan and Mulan yeah. and Mulan. Of course, she's, yes, she's yes. a princess and book of Boba Fett. If you count that as a different, oh. she's the best thing about that. I think, <laughs> I think the Wookiee is Wookie is <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty cool. Um, Damien Chapa as Ken. I think you were talking about this, Sammy, you wanted to give a little history on Damien. So Damien Chapa is one of the kind of the great kind of modern cult actors. And when I say that, he really, I hope I never meet him because he's probably going to, if he ever listens to this, he will hate it if he hears me say this, but he loves himself so much. And he is so sure that he's the greatest actor. Very few actors can say they've played uh, Marlon Brando. They've played um, Bobby Fisher. They played Roman Polanski. They've played, and most of these are written and directed by him. Um, <laughs> and he's working on something right now where he plays the Marquis de Sade. He is all over the oh place. God. His films are insane. Uh, they're horror films, action films. He's Irish, Mexican, all these things mixed together. He's very, he's, he's Mexican, Italian, Irish, Native American descent. So he's basically an American is what he is. And, uh, but he really holds on to that. He's from Dayton, Ohio. He thinks he is the greatest actor that's ever lived. I appreciate that. He's married to Natasha Hintrich. He got married to her once before. They got divorced, married somebody else, divorced her, and then he remarried Natasha, I think, last year or a couple years ago. So that's where that comes back with the Jean-Claude Van Damme tie-in. But you guys, if you get a chance and you want to go down some wormholes, go check out some Jamie Damien Chapa films. His, uh, his Brando performance is one to behold. I mean, <laughs> it's it's room-level uh, stuff. Oh, boy. But it's it's pretty it's pretty he has confidence. You're my me. favorite customer. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. check, I, check him out. I know what I'm doing this weekend. I'm watching Damien Chapa films. 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> we get to Byron Man. Fame and Blood In, Blood Out. That's probably his most, this and Blood In, Blood Out are probably his most famous oh, okay. ones. Yeah. We get Byron Man as Ryu. Uh, Kylie Minogue is Cammy, which I believe the reason why she got this is because um, uh, D'Souza saw her in a magazine and wanted her in the film, right? Well, they they shot, so the movie was shot in Thailand and Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they filmed in Australia, they said, well, that's great, but you're going to need to cast somebody from Australia. And he saw her picture on the magazine, was like, we'll go with her. By the way, she's known as Little M in Australia. Big M is Madonna. Little M is Kylie Minogue. She's a pop star. She is like, she's put out a ton of albums. She just has energy to burn. I, I'm a huge Kylie Minogue fan. I mean, I'm gay. I have to be right. But, um, you know, wait a minute. You're gay. Surprise. <laughs> wait. Didn't Holy know. Shit, I no love her. Idea. Had no idea. Now we're, now we're definitely at minus four. Oh, yeah. Now we are. That's a world problem there. Okay. Homosexuality is a world problem. But um, <laughs> apparently she was a joy to work on in this on this film. That's like everybody, it, everybody absolutely loved her. Loved. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Roshan Seth as Dalson. Andrew Brynjarski as Zangief. Yeah. Also a fellow Philadelphian. I feel like he's heir to the Robert Zadar. Dizar, Dizar, Zadar. Zadar? Zadar. Zadar? Yeah. Is it Dizar? No, Zadar, right? Zadar. Zadar. Yes. Yeah. Because he's got that like square chin and that like kind of like face or whatever. Well, he took uh, it's over a shame the, he's uh, not in more. I actually kind of like him. He gives yeah. one of the weirdest takes on a performance in this, in this movie, but yes. we'll get to it. He, uh, he took over the Leatherface mantle with the. Uh, That's arena. right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's right. He was also Max Shrek's son in yes. Batman Returns. Yeah. He's trying to bring joy to the masses. Yep. <laughs> He's also, I've seen him at a horror convention. He's also certifiably insane. Oh my God. I think I love him even more. And he was Kit Kat in Hudson Hawk. Yeah. Oh my God. Loved That's him. right. If yes. you guys ever end up in a bar at a horror convention or something and Bernarski's there, leave. No, no now I'm staying. Now we stay. I will. I will seek him out we now. Good Minus stories. four time. Here we go. Yes. He's insane. Uh, Grand L. Bush as Balrog. Yeah. Yep. Robert also was in Die Hard. Yes. Uh, yes Stephen right. uh, Stephen cast him because uh, he played one of the wacky FBI agents. FBI agents. Yep. Yeah. Robert Mamone as Carlos Blanca. Yeah. Charlie. Oh, Australian actor. Charlie. Pretty yep. fabulous. Charlie. Miguel <laughs> Nunez Jr. as DJ. The Juana man himself. Yep. Yeah. Juana man. Oh my God. Wow. That movie did not age well. No, it does not. No. It's kind of it's it's kind of like the inverse of Soul Man. Oh, it is. Yeah. That's true. Oh man, Soul Man. Yo, I couldn't even watch it recently. I just couldn't do it. Uh, that's a that's a everybody together kind of movie. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yes. Uh Greg Rainwater as T Hawk. Jay Tavera as Vega. Yeah. Peter Navy, I'm gonna slaughter this name. Tuisopo as E Honda. Tuisa Sopo. Tuisa Sopo. Uh, <laughs> Wes Studi as Victor Sagat. Kenya Sawada as Captain Sawada, who also starred in 1995's Thunderbolt with Jackie Chan. 
amazing mm -hmm. film. Sam Hung does choreography on there, as well as a more serious Jackie Chan film, the Shinjuku Incident from 2009, which is good. It's a gangster oh, film. Oh, yeah. He was in that. He wow. was, yep. And then oh. you get Benny Arquitas as the Sagat gang member. He's always in the background. So Poor Jay Tavara. He would keep working, and he was in the Human Centipede Part 3. Oh, boy. He was in uh, Bone Tomahawk. He played Sharp Teeth in Bone oh, Tomahawk. Oh, that, see, that's where that's I remember right. him from. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I just real quick, Brad, you were making, so are these, uh, screen accurate representations of the characters from the video game? No, I'd say like Vega's pretty close. Yeah. Um, Sagat is supposed to be like a seven four, a seven, four, like Muay Thai master. Not so much by West studio there. Uh, mm -hmm. Ken and Ryu are jokes. Uh, Guile, <laughs> Guile, um, is like an all American character. Yeah. Uh, not so much. So that's Jean-Claude Van Damme, right? Yes. Yeah. He's so it's weird, right? Because street fighter was released so many different times. And so they kind of use some characters from street fighter turbo and street fighter to the road warriors. Yeah. So like Cammy is a street fighter turbo character. Uh, so is T Hawk. Um, and, which they missed the best one of that was just Fei Long, who was like the Bruce Lee. That was the Bruce Lee clone. Yep. Cl clone. Um, but yeah, so it's weird. Um, and like, and I just wanted to like ask you guys. So in that, in the video game, like you have eight characters that you choose from and then you play everybody and then you go through the four basic champions, which when it came to the consoles, it was called championship edition and you actually got to play those. But anyway, I always assumed that the four champions were like, and that had the story is basically they all worked for in Bison and, and they worked in Chattaloo. So Balrog, which is the boxer Vega, which is known internationally as claw um, and Sagat. And then in Bison, we're like the bad guys. It's weird in this one. Like DJ is another turbo character. He's working for Bison. Um, it's just weird. Cause the game is so like, globe trotty like you know every country has maybe one or two characters that come from there um you know you pick blanca he goes brazil and um but it, it's it's weird usa but um i'll keep doing that because you know when you pick this <laughs> when you pick the places like india but um so none of these are really that close um they tr i don't want to say they try uh because like they get some of the moves in there Right, like you kind of get a semi like Hadouken at the very end, but not really. None of the so. supernatural stuff. It's all um, yeah. They go yeah. through the like motions. The hundred hands. E Honda kind of does the hundred hand slap a little bit, but yep. it's not like sped up or anything. And then you know Chun Li doesn't do the kick or anything like that. But Guile yep. does uh, cheese the the flash kick twice at the very end. So he does that's there. Yep. So let's go through production and development real quick. Jump in if you know some of these stories. Films production was $35 million. Capcom, like you said, uh, financed just about all of the budget, right? So it was going to live or die on their dollar. And because Capcom was the financer of the film, every aspect of the production required their approval. Right. So they mandated a December 1994 release date, which required the cast and crew to maintain a super aggressive filming schedule. And you already kind of talked about this, Jose. D'Souza uh, says he wrote the initial draft of the script overnight, being made aware that the Capcom executives were visiting in Los Angeles. So this thing was put together rather quickly. Yep. Cap and even and even when they went into production, knowing full well that 
if there were any delays, they were not going to make that release date that they wanted. But D'Souza says that their first 10 days in Thailand were terrible. Like there was footage that they couldn't use and they literally had to be like, okay, we've got to reshoot this. That's why they went eventually went to Australia because they chose to film in Thailand during the rainy season. And the sets that they were sort of given were very rickety and like falling apart. And it just wasn't conducive to like, you know, Hollywood filmmaking or what have you. Um, and D'Souza actually took a pay cut because allegedly, not to steal your thunder, Troy, mm-hmm. but allegedly they were going to pay Van Damme, I think, $7 million and then Raw like $3 million. So right there, that's $10 million out of the budget for those two actors. And they haven't even started filming. Oh, you right? better pay me my money. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you bring that up. So they had envisioned Jean-Claude from the start as Guile and asked him to be in the cast. Um, Raul Julia said that he accepted the role of Bison because his children were huge fans of the video game. Between those two, that was a big part of the budget. And Jean-Claude's um, salary was really $8 million out of that $35 million Ooh. budget. Yeah, uh, but he got, all, he got all the perks on set, though. He got all the perks, so... He snorted in most of that payment. <laughs> yeah, and... and all you the know, perks, I'm not kidding. Including <laughs> his, his perky ass. That's right. <laughs> Now, before the shoot, um, Raul Julia had under, had undergone surgery for stomach cancer, right. and the illness would eventually take his life within the year. And so we talked about you know five, six Troy, weeks after production. Troy, you and I are the same age or close to the same age. Yes. Uh, I never, like I said, I've never asked Jose what his age is, but I think we're the three of us are close in age. But do you, any of you do you remember Raul Julia on Sesame Street at all? Yeah, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right. He's one of those actors that has always been in the background. Um, and it was weird. Like I, I had kind of become a fan of him from a Clint Eastwood film. I think it was called the rookie. Yes. So I, I, I always knew him as like a a fun bad guy. Yeah. Um, I loved him from kiss of the spider woman. Yes. Again, that too. I'm gay. So, you know, (laughs) kiss of the spider woman. Um, anyway, but raw. Yeah. So, Apparently, the story goes when Rawls showed up, everybody from the costume designers to D'Souza to the other actors were just they were like, he was gone. Right. He was like one hundred and eighty pounds. Everybody that knew that knew him from before, he obviously was bigger and much healthier. And they were like, how are we going to do this? So not only were there production problems, but they had to make sure that any of the action scenes with Rawl. And some of the dramatic scenes would have to be at the end of the production so that they could get him dietitians, get him working on a regimen, working with Benny the Jet or Kidas. But the story from almost the entire cast was that he brought so much energy. Like you would never have known that he was recovering from like the surgery or the stomach cancer because his line delivery, his performance, his research, the fight training, all of it, he gave it 120%. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it feels like it too. When you watch the yeah. film, when you watch the film, the one thing I always come away from after seeing it more than a handful of times now is that Rod Julia treats the material seriously as much as he can. It's a comedy in a lot of ways. Yes. But he he has given his all to that performance and it it makes the whole movie that much better in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, he he committed. It's 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 a wonderful performance. I mean, it's it's fabulous. Yeah. So you touched on this. They had to rearrange the shooting schedule because of his illness. And that goes to some of the stories about um, 
you know, Charlie and Benny kind of being given initially a schedule to work with the cast and, you know, do the fight choreography and everything else that got thrown out the door. And in fact, it really led to an environment where the cast would be trained only right before their scene, sometimes only hours ahead. So they did not get the training and the workout time. And, and that's why the fight choreography kind of looks the way it does within the film is because they had to move that schedule around for um, really Julia's less intensive scenes, et cetera. Right. And here's, here's where the gossip comes in, right? So according to the cast and crew, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was not easy to work with due to a combination of professional ego and substance abuse. Being yeah. the biggest star on the film, Van Damme got a presidential hotel suite with a gym put into his room, but yeah. he would often refuse to come out of the hotel or his trailer until he felt ready. And when he did come out, he would often bring alcohol to the set or take hours to shoot his scenes. So he was whacked out of his mind, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Jean-Claude later revealed that during the filming, he had a drug problem doing about $10,000 worth of cocaine a week during shooting, uh, had an affair with Kylie Minogue. And Stephen E. D'Souza confirmed in 2018 that Van Damme's cocaine addiction caused constant disruptions during filming. The studio actually hired a wrangler to keep him in check. Uh, but this person, the wrangler, was also a bad influence on Van Damme. And the, and the action star would call in sick, leave the set, show up late or not show up at all. And uh, D'Souza would have to turn around and find other scenes to film when Van Damme would not show up. And I love the story. D'Souza says he took a, uh, he kind of followed John Ford's uh, philosophy that if he started to fall behind in his filming schedule, he just ripped a page out of the script and said, yep. oh, we're going to make it up that way. So yep. by the time they got to the end of it, he looked at the, the footage and was like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. So they went back and did a few reshoots, right? Um, the MPAA gave the first submitted cut of the film an R classification. And Capcom's like, nope, we need a PG-13 rating, right? So after various cuts, MPA came back and said, oh, it's G-rated. So then they had to go back and add some of those things that the Christian website didn't like to bump it up to a PG-13. And here's my favorite piece of fun trivia. So the AN Forces radio DJ is played by Adrian Cronauer, whose exploits as an armed forces radio DJ in Vietnam were dramatized in Good in Good Morning Vietnam from 1987, starring Robin right. Williams. Even says it here. Good morning, Jadalou. Yes. Good morning, Jadalou. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <sighs> you know, interestingly enough, um, on the commentary, D'Souza also says that um, one of the issues with the movie was they they envisioned it as a family as a family movie. Yeah. They wanted a PG thirteen. Um, now he, the way he tells it is he says that there were actual fight scenes, right. That they had filmed. Um, and in fact, uh, Chun-Li's character had a fight scene before her epic. Well, I won't say it's an epic battle, but before her battle with, um, Bison. But the reason why they shaved that out was because it just made more sense for them to be like, well, who is this Chun-Li person? And then there's a surprise that she actually can kick ass. Um, but her what name happened is Chun-Li was in the movie. Her name is Chun Li. Her name is Chun Li. We, we know. We know Chun-Li. she can fight. Yep. We know she Chun-Li can. Chun Li Zhang. She's um, in a movie called Street Fighter. Yes. <laughs> but what they did was, as they were submitting to the MPAA, they would say, "Well, we don't like this fight scene, and this fight scene's too violent." So they were cutting away, cutting away, and then filming, as you said, Troy, with like you know missing pages, things like that. And by the time they got the G rating, 
they realize, oh shit, we cut all the fights out. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what's weird about this movie is that, you know, the rating actually says PG 13, nonstop martial arts action. Not quite kids. It is not nonstop. That martial is the arts first action. note I wrote down is that before the movie starts on the Blu-ray disc, you get that uh, title card, right? For the rating PG 13 yeah. for nonstop martial arts action and violence. What movie did they see? I don't know. <laughs> they grabbed that from the Christian rating site. On this Interesting. One. When we talked about Troy and Brad, when we talked about the new Mortal Kombat, we kind of made the joke about how it's a tournament, you know, series and there's yeah. very little tournament fighting. And this is the same thing. I mean, this is, there's no tournament here. There's With nothing. less fighting. With less fighting. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Less fighting and less fire peeing. There's just, there's nothing. Uh, the violence here is just very strange. Yeah, I agree. Well, we but spent... Curiously enough, D'Souza's inspiration for this film was Guns of Navarone and the James Bond films. So he wanted to create sort of like a complicated backstory with 16 characters, but not make it a tournament film like the video game. Yeah. And, and he wanted and, to and avoid the, this. I think the issue with that was that you don't, you know, for those for those listening who are too young to um, remember video arcades, you know, the the video games would have like a demo mode and sometimes the demo mode would give you a little bit of a history of the characters or like set up a scenario and then you play the video game. Street Fighter didn't really have that. And D'Souza talks about the fact that Capcom gave him like press materials about how to work the video game. And there was like a pullout of like a map and a lair, but none of it was explained and that's sort of where D'Souza created the, you know, the villain lair, like a James Bond thing. Yep. Guns of Navarone, they'd be storming at, at like the UN or the AN or whatever. They were told they could not use the United Nations, that they would like, you know, just <laughs> suffered death and penalties if they called it the United Nations. But but um, I don't know. I kind of like the I liked the approach to it, but I don't think audiences really warmed up to that sort of non-tournament approach and then you know paul thomas or paul anderson comes out with mortal Kombat, and it's essentially a tournament film with some supernatural elements and that's a that's a huge hit so i mean you just never know where it's going to go with these video game adaptions right you're going to on the one hand you're going to have mortal Kombat, and then on the other you'll have this and maybe super mario brothers which by the way is an underappreciated film that movie is really gonzo and fantastic <laughs> yeah i agree and, and d'souza i think says he tried to stay away from super mario brothers and the supernatural elements i mean that was all intentional yeah um well let, let's get into that i mean we spent an hour and a half talking jean claude history i've got uh okay brad um, i've got I'm going to start we with love you, you time guy. I'm going to start listening. with you, Sammy. Uh, you've talked about this film already uh, many, many moons ago. We forced you to sit down and watch it again, just so we could talk Jean-Claude <laughs> with you. Uh, what was your, what was your new take on street fighter? Um, my new take, same as my old take. This movie's just, it's just fun. It's just a big, goofy, almost a parody of action movies. In some ways it comes close in moments. Where it's just like, you know, like you're almost going to hear somebody like hit, pull somebody's nose like boing or something like that. <laughs> just do something silly because there's some very silly, funny puns, especially from M. Bison. You know, the great, uh, it was Tuesday, uh, that, that line. And then uh, amazing. 
you know, some of the other stuff he did. My favorite joke he has, and it's the more politically incorrect one where he covers his eye and says, I bet you didn't see that, did you? <laughs> to Sagat, yes. Yeah, that's that's pretty great. For those who that was an know, improv, apparently. Yeah. Sagat only has he wears an eye patch. So, you know, he's basically <laughs> making fun of the handicap, which quote unquote you can't do nowadays. But uh it's a great line, it's a great moment. Um he's over the top. Everybody's kind of over the top. So I think everybody's kind of in on the joke here. The movie, as far as plot goes, it's threadbare. I mean, it, it's basically non-existent. Good guys come into third world country, defeat bad guy. That's pretty much it. But it has all these costumes, and it, it's kind of like the video game in a way because the video game itself is not really about a story so much as it's kind of just you know great-looking characters, and it was all about the moves, right, Brian? Oh, I think- you... you- there is a story to Street Fighter. And you don't want to go down that road. I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> yes. Uh, I've been down that road before in the past. But for me, when I first saw the Street Fighter game, I thought, okay, this is threadbare as far as story goes. But it's all about the moves, all about the characters and the interactions of those characters and super moves and special moves and all this kind of stuff. And I realized video games were changing. It was one of those first moments where I realized games were changing. Uh, this this did not change cinema in any way, but what you got here is you got them trying to make, and I think even Van Dam thinking, this is my break to family friendly fare. This is the PG thirteen movie I need to branch over into that part of my career. Up until this point, he had only made rated R films. Uh, he had only made basically video films or cable films that you know quote unquote we weren't supposed to see well i mean we we were old enough but everybody but was watching him right everybody was watching yeah. him right so he was trying to break over into that sylvester stallone schwarzenegger type realm of the big movie action star the pg-13 star kind of the title that basically tom cruise has owned for like the last 20 years of this pg-13 action star and um i don't think this was the movie for that um because it's got both its strengths and its weaknesses are reliant upon its tone. I like it for its tone because I don't think it would have worked if they'd have made it serious. I think it would have been ridiculous, but I also think because of its tone, a lot of people were like, yeah, I can't, I can't get behind this. This is way too goofy. Um, and I think it, it's, it settles in some weird place that makes it almost a cult film. I would say it is a cult film. And it's becoming more and more of a cult film as time has gone on. Uh, I'll meet people sometimes who are younger and I'll say something about Van Damme and they'll say, oh, man, you ever seen that you know, piece of crap he was in about the video about the video game, the Street Fighter movie? I'm like, yeah, man, it's pretty great. Actually, I love that film. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, I guess it's pretty cool. You know, it's almost like they <laughs> didn't realize what they were saying, you know, but uh, it, it does. It's kind of settled into this weird space that it, it the movie's. As simple as it is, it's kind of indescribable in a weird way. Um, I mean, he's got a fancy boat. Uh, he's got strange dialogue. A fancy There's- boat with a VHS player in it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like an oh. eight millimeter thing. Yeah, it's like, oh. it's- check out this vacation tape. Oh, Charlie and I with Charlie. a couple of dames. <laughs> it's hot in Chandelou. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, it, it just, I think as time's gone on, time has been kind to this film. Uh, And I think it's because it is essentially making fun of itself in a lot of ways as it's kind of playing along. I don't think it's 
at any point does anybody really taking it very seriously here. Some may have uh, looked back on it. I think Ming-Na Wen has kind of said that she kind of has looked back on it and kind of been a disappointment, and a few other actors have. I think Van Damme doesn't remember uh, what he was doing at this point in time. He used to frown upon it. seems to celebrate it a little bit more now. Um, most everybody else in the film, I've never really read anything bad about. I think D'Souza considered it a misfire, but I don't think he considered it a disappointment. Um, I saw it in the theater with my brother, and we had a good time with it. But I was also smart enough, and my brother's a pretty big film fan too. We were smart enough to know that they were kind of winking at us the whole time. Does that make sense? It, it does, 100%. I mean, that that's the question I have out of the gate because you were, you already said this a little bit, and I agree with you 100%. I actually think um, D'Souza made a parody of action films with this thing. I wonder how intentional it was versus unintentional because I have to assume the comedy is intentional because some of the dialogue is hilarious. I think it helps that Jean-Claude is whacked out of his brain on cocaine and takes his role seriously. But I think, um, I think that aspect sort of helps out with the farcical nonsense going on most of the time. And, and you hinted at this and, th- and this is why I point to it where I think um, D'Souza really made a, <laughs> I- I'm going to, I'm going to say this, you're gonna make fun of me. I think he really, really made a smart action film because it's a parody of action films for two reasons. A, this movie is all about we're going to get ready to fight and then something, something happens and we don't fight. And then we're going to get ready to fight and something happens and we don't fight. And then all of a sudden everybody fights at the end. So you you get this build up and then they walk away from it. Build up and they walk away. Uh, but you get some amazing dialogue in between that and you get probably the greatest exchange in action cinema when Chun Li describes the day Bison comes to her village and killed her <laughs> father, and Bison goes, "I'm I'm sorry, I don't remember it," and she says, "You you don't remember?" and and his line was, "For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life, but for me, it was Tuesday." Yeah. I roll every time I hear that because Julia gives that line so much grace, and and it's Shakespearean how he delivers it. But you can't tell me D'Souza wasn't doing writing that whole thing and not creating a parody of like the James Bond villain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. He is totally playing the James Bond villain in this film. A hundred percent. And I, I think all that works. I think also Van Damme, he's really good in this movie. He's he's self-righteous. He's a big goofy. Again, we know from behind the scenes that he was not there 100%. He was yeah. being the person that he talks about himself being in JCPD. He was very full of himself. He was young. He was hot. He was, uh, his star was climbing. So he, he was going through that phase where he's being a little bit self-destructive, a little bit full of himself, but he still has that something. I don't know what it is, that natural charisma, even with the very thick accent that it, he just kind of exudes for me a type of charisma or leadership on screen. Uh, it's a bit pompous, but it also kind of works for the character he he is playing here. And even kind of the game plan they kind of come up with in the film. Look, it's not Shakespeare, but the point is Raul Julia treated it like Shakespeare and everybody else treated it like they knew what was going on. That comes down, in my opinion, to D'Souza because he has to direct those people. Yes. And that makes this film 
way better than it has any right to be because they knew what they were doing. I just don't think audiences in 94 knew what the hell to expect. I think they wanted Mortal Kombat, which they got after this, right? Yeah. In 95. Yeah. I think the audience wanted that. And uh, if you think about it, it kind of translates into the fact that they started wanting Steven Seagal as a bad guy, as a tough guy, too. They wanted these more serious takes on action stars. And we kind of go through this throughout film history. We got the serious guys, the silly guys. Eddie Murphy's an action star all of a sudden. And then, you know, here's Steven Seagal and there's Van Damme, here's Schwarzenegger, here's Stallone. They're all doing these things where they're kind of going back and forth. And so I think Van Damme, I think his agent, I think he knew that he had to hit that level. He had to hit that Schwarzenegger Stallone comedy level, give or take. There's been some good results there, some bad. But for the most part, I enjoy most of those films. And we talked about this with Welcome to the Jungle. Van Damme is actually a very funny actor. And uh, he gets it. He gets his personality. He gets what he means to cinema. He didn't get it in the beginning, but he gets it now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. that's the important thing. But I, I don't really have much more to say. I could go on forever, really, talking about this cast and everything they do. I will say that they pull as much as they can out of this for a video game that, regardless of what Brad's going to tell us, has very little story, in my opinion. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of story somewhere, but it doesn't need it. I do wish it was a tournament film in some ways, but I'm kind of glad it's not. I'm kind of glad it's a men on a mission film because that kind of makes it unique. In a weird way. I agree. But that's all I got. Okay. Jose, I'm so curious about your opinion on this one. Because lately, I usually think I know where you're going to land on something. But you've been throwing curveballs left and right um, with some of the movies you like and others that you think, oh, no good, etc. So uh, Street Fighter has me perplexed on where you're going to land on this one. I'm assuming since you listen to the commentary and everything else, you're kind of a fan, but I don't know. You could, you could listen to the commentary and go, well, I was interested in, in learning all about it, but I hate this film and I, I want uh, army of the dead part two instead, but I, I don't know. Um, where, where do you land on this thing? I, I mean, this is not a first time watch uh, of this film for you, right? It is not. I've probably seen this movie like 50 times. I own it on all different media, like VHS DVD, Laserdisc, and then God bless, hashtag Mill Creek. They gave me a Blu-ray. Um, well, they didn't give it to me, but I mean, they they issued a Blu-ray. I bought the Steelbook. I love this movie. Um, I will tell you that when I first, uh, I, I'm just, uh, you know, no, I'm not going to repeat everything that like basically um, Sammy said, but, you know, I feel the same way that when it was released, it was misunderstood. I think because I, I think it is a tongue in cheek family movie based on a video game. Right. Yep. So, and you know, when you, when you get into these adaptations of something that's very, very popular for people, you know, it, it becomes really sort of polarizing because there's a lot of expectations. Right. So I think people went to this, I went to this expecting mortal Kombat, like a tournament, with some sort of like back backstory or something with all the characters. <clears throat> and what it really was, was more like the Brady Bunch movie or Starsky and Hutch with uh, Ben Stiller, 
right? It took the original idea. There are things that if you're a fan, you can look at it and say, oh my God, that's where that's coming from. Ha ha, I'm in on the joke or whatever. But it was those movies, the Brady Bunch and, and Starsky and Hutch were really more like nostalgic tongue in cheek comedies. And I think that, that that's what D'Souza was going for with this. Um, I don't envy the fact that he had to try to create a story with 16 characters, but that was mandated from Capcom. Um, and what he put together, actually, I I thought was actually not a bad story. I mean, the, anybody who has a line here basically is a character from the video game, right? Um, but the way that he worked in everybody, I, I thought it was great. I also enjoyed the fact that, you know, from the video game, they're in sort of, they're sort of in a, a fighting costume or, or, or a uniform or what have you. And I like that they sort of worked into the fact that all of them eventually get to that sort of like familiar uniform somehow. And the ways that he did it were, I thought were really, really interesting. Like, you know, Bison dresses her as a geisha as sort of like entertainment or what have you. That's why she has that outfit. Um, Ken and Ryu, they're in basically the 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 geese for uh, the bison training, you right. know, for fighters. The army, right? Um, yeah, um, and then of course, you know, the the military uniform. So, I mean, I just I I like what they did. I, I can tell you, the first time I saw it, I was disappointed. But the more I watched it, the more I got the humor. The more that I was like, you know, this is intentionally funny. Uh, there's a going theory that Stephen D'Souza, in his later career basically was like, well, if all Hollywood wants from me is, you know, quippy, one-liners, comedy, and action combined, then I'm going to give it to them. And so there's this going theory that he's parodying himself, and this may actually be the start of it, right? Because some of the lines are are ridiculous. You know, the, the accountant guy says, oh, you've lost your mind to Guile. And he's like, no, you've lost your balls. You know, it's so, you know, that kind of dialogue, it's like, wait, where is that coming from? Certainly not driven from the video game. So I, I, again, I think he's sort of parodying himself, but the point was to make it family friendly. And that, I think that's the most misunderstood thing about this movie is that it was designed for the family. I mean, practically everybody in the cast knows about the video game through their children, right? Um, or because they played it themselves, you know? So, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a fun movie. I love it. I I watch it a lot. I love all the one-liners. Um, I, I mean, it's just amazing. And even the production design, I mean, the hints that it is a comedy are the fact that, like, if you look, Bison, you know, he's got, like, four different hats, Right. So he goes he goes to like change his you know costume and all he does is swap out the one black or red colored hat for like a white one, his lounging, you know, hat or whatever. And then his little icon is everywhere. It's on the swizzle sticks at his bar. Um, you know, they're in the gym. They've got like the bison logo. I mean, he's just like this megalomaniac and <laughs> and it's just so off the wall. It's kind of amazing and kind of fun to watch and look at. Yeah, he's um, all about he's all about the branding him by yes yeah, he he's is. all about the branding bison bucks the bigger food bison dollars will be just <laughs> as you know as <laughs> but but there's just there's a lot of things to love in the movie because it actually doesn't take itself seriously and i i think that's the the fun of the movie 
Um, I will say there, there are two things that did strike me as kind of odd. Um, the uh, Kenya Sawada, who plays uh, Captain Sawada, I think initially he wanted to play Ryu, I think. Uh, or no, he wanted to play Guile. And, no, he wanted to play Ryu, and they chose to cast somebody else. And apparently he took that very badly. But not only that, but they overdubbed his lines because he didn't speak English very well. I think there's only but one that line dub- that's his yeah, original his- voice. But that dubbing was just awful. I mean, it's his like, ADR is terrible. Yeah, Kono, we are approaching the. I mean, it was. It's <laughs> awful, and it's this like terrible Japanese action too. So that struck me odd. The overdubbing, the ADR, and then two. I know it's supposed to be played for laughs, but I did not take very kindly to the kaiju fighting thing with the Godzilla sounds when they're breaking up Bisonopolis or whatever. I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if that's. It just struck me as kind of weird, but yeah, <laughs> or slightly offensive, actually. But it's the '90s cheap laugh, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, but I loved it. It's great, <laughs> awesome, Brad. You, man, you've professionally like played Street Fighter for money, right? I mean, it, yeah. This this I, franchise well, is close. You were to an your esports heart, athlete. Right? Wow. Yeah, before it was, I I've probably got. 10,000 hours into Street Fighter 2, to be perfectly honest with you. Before it was cool. Before, yeah, it, was before cool. it was cool, man. Uh, my yeah, jaw is so, on the floor again. You can't see my jaw, but I am yeah. in awe. That's amazing. And Sammy, if you ever want to go down a rabbit hole, look up Street Fighter characters like Seth, who was the CEO of like Shadowloo's weapon division called Sin, <laughs> or Gil, who works for a secret society who has been controlling the whole world this whole time. He's basically someone from the Illuminati. There's lots of rabbit holes. Anyway, um, with that being said, I always, always have to go into this movie telling myself this is a Street Fighter movie by name only um, because it's not the characters that I know. And and I think the easiest way to do this, uh, to explain my thoughts is this is Bizarro Street Fighter. (laughs) And I will tell you why it is. So do you know what happens when two characters, when you are playing... uh, someone else in street fighter and you pick the same character. Do you know what happens? Don't they, so, don't they change colors? They or change something? color. Oh, yeah. So yeah. the color that guile is in real life, he's green. Cause he's got the camo. If we both pick him, then he turns blue and he's the blue guile. So it's like the bizarro world guile. Um, this is the bizarro world movie. It's, it's basically street fighter by name only. Um, I, I will say I, I begged and begged and begged my parents to let me go to this movie um, in the theater. Uh, my mom was very smart. She dropped me off with my friends. She said, I'll be back in two hours. You go watch your dumb fighting movie. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, as a little kid, I, I really liked it. Um, as I kept watching it and kept watching it, I kind of fell out in love with it because I'm like, this is not my street fighter. Like, this is not the way the characters are supposed to be. Um, and then now it's like, oh, okay. Like it's not supposed to be like, there is something parody level going on in this movie that, um, I wasn't smart enough to pick up on. And, uh, now I get it. it it's, it's basically like an action movie parody. This is more of a, a hot shots movie than like a video game movie in a way. Um, and then you get Raul Julia who is like giving it his all, which like, kind of gives bison like this 
gravitas that he doesn't deserve um, for this movie. Um, and then you got John Claude, who is just off the wall. Like he cuts a goddamn wrestling promo in the middle of this movie, which is probably my favorite thing out of nowhere. He's like, Bison survivor series. I'm coming for you, man. I'm coming yeah. to get you the intercontinental championship. It will be mine. He doesn't like, even hold the, he doesn't even hold the microphone. Correct. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, <laughs> and, and so you kind of have to go into it like that. Um, with all those caveats in mind, um, you know, the, the plot is like, I, I don't know. There's some hostages and Bison wants to get a bigger food court in his mall. Like his ultimate goal <laughs> is to build a mall. Like, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it is a dumb movie. Um, there are characters in this that literally serve no, Cammy is in this and you're like, what is Cammy doing? She's essentially Guile's secretary. Um, she's actually a really cool character. Um, doll Sim is literally like a yoga master in the game who breathes fire and stretches. Doesn't do any of that. You know, all these characters that we've come to know and love are not who they are. They're basically by name. Um, you know, Sagat, uh, definitely not who he is. Uh, but you know, again, you kind of have to go into it thinking that it's, they're just names of characters. Um, you know, I don't know why E Honda and Balrog work for the Global News Network. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's insane. I, I give this movie a pass because I find it really fun to watch. Uh, but it's it's got lots of problems. Um, anyone who who just comes in and says, "Wow, that movie!" If you look at it on like a story standpoint, it's like insane and it doesn't make any sense. I would tell them I 100% agree. Um, I think it does look really good. And, you know, I, I wish some of that character came out a little bit more, but you're not going to get like these back, these backstories of characters when there's 16 of them. You know, I think maybe they should have started off with like the original eight and maybe built up, you know, the four champions and, and gone from there. But, you know, they went with 16 and, you know, it's unfortunate that T-Hawk literally gets four lines in this movie. And you really don't know that he's T-Hawk. Um, so, yeah. you know, yeah. it is what it is. Um, well, ben Dam calls him T-Hawk. Yeah, that's the only reason you know he's T-Hawk. He's like, okay, T-Hawk, I got you, man. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's got its problems. But, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever ebbed and flowed with a movie as much as this one. Um, but I'm kind of back on the upswing now where it's like, yeah, this movie is misunderstood. In maybe five years, I'll watch it. Know, a few more times and be like no this movie's dog shit um so <laughs> right now i'm up on that high wave but I, I i really enjoy it watching it this weekend after my basketball team was defeated by a 15 seed it really was what i needed so you know it, it was it was perfect for that moment in time yeah i gotta say cameron and i watched it together we had an absolute ball and we've watched it together before and it and it's so much fun i think this film what it doesn't have in in nonstop martial arts action and violence it actually has uh it it has charm it it makes up for it in charm and i think it's super intentional like i i find it interesting where people would watch this and go well this movie has problems and it's all over the place etc 
I would say I would agree with you if I didn't think that all of that stuff weren't so darn intentional. I, I mean, you know the story behind the scenes where he's just ripping out pages and just to trying to get the thing on film. And when they come back to an editing perspective, he says, well, we got to do these reshoots. I think what you end up with is something to where D'Souza is basically saying, I'm going to put an action family film together, but for whatever reason, he's ahead of the curve from where the audiences were and even Hollywood was at that time. I, I think time had to catch up or, or, you know, sensibilities had to catch up with this film. When you say it's closer to hot shots, I'd say, I, I kind of agree with you, but I love the hotshot films. I actually think they're pretty smart and pretty funny, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, there's so many examples of the charm just coming through and the characters just pitch perfect are delivering these elements of the screenplay and you're, you're laughing and you want more of it. And another great example is um, Vega and Ryu have to get into the ring and fight each other. And, you know, everybody's going nuts over Vega because he's, you know, the hot cut guy and he's got that, you know, chiseled look and Ryu gets in there and t- takes his shirt off. And, all, yeah. and there's a lady off to the side that has the Vega sign. As soon as she sees Ryu, she like throws the sign away and Vega gets all upset about it. Yeah. They so, cut the Vega with the reaction, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's supposed to be really vain. Yes. So. But it's, it's that whole aspect of it where I think they, you know, D'Souza took elements of these characters. He wasn't given much with. He's like, well, here's Vega. He's this guy. He's really, you know, vain and um, great. Put him in a ring with Ryu. And he comes up with this entire sequence o- over kind of nothing, right? Just a video game premise. And he creates something that's really charming and really funny. And dude, no one comes close to Ra Julia's um, villain. I mean, if, if you wanted to pick a point in history of all of the comedies or all of the Zucker, Abrams, parodies and everything else, <laughs> nothing is going to come close to Raul Julia doing like a Stalin, Mussolini, James Bond villain hybrid combination. And every a ounce, little Hitler in there, too, yeah, for good measure, <laughs> every ounce of dialogue that oozes from him, not only. Um, just signifies how good the writing is, but also um, how great and amazing Rod Julia was was as an actor. I mean, one of the best. Uh, and I think this sits kind of. You, you mentioned Jose like Brady Bunch. If you go, if you were to go back and watch like the Adams Family movies and then go right into Street Fighter, I think it would work pretty good, just because Rod Julia brings that gravitas through all of them. And all three films are would be pretty damn funny, in my opinion. But, I, I mean, it's hard to add to anything that you three have said because I think you all kind of um, talk about it from a reverence that I think it deserves. And I wish more people would come to it with that and and just kind of celebrate it a little bit more. I mean, I would be the first to say that, you know, I'm, I'm still on a hard target high in 93. And when I came to this one, I'm like... You know, there wasn't as much Jean-Claude face kicking as I wanted, but oh my gosh, the Raul Julia, I fell in love with that from, you know, day one that I saw it in the theaters and I really kind of had fun with it. But I got to tell you, it's been one of those films that I enjoy watching more and more with a group of people. I think, I think it's a fun crowd watch. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree as well. I think it's actually better with the crowd. I, I, I Don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, I'm enough of a movie buff that I can sit and watch this by myself over and over again. And I'd probably be fine yeah. as well, but. I think it is that kind of film where if you watch it with a crowd, it, it plays a lot better. Um, I want to say 
one of the things that I remember even when we saw it in the theater, one of the things that worried me immediately was the amount of editors on this thing. Oh, yeah. There's like uh, 20 of them or something. Yeah, there's like there's five, five of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was one of the first times I realized that if you start to see more than one person or maybe two people on screenplays or editor or something like that, you, there might have been a problem behind the scenes somewhere. <laughs> Probably. Potentially. So. And we should say the the executive that plays uh, that uh, Gal kind of says he has no balls. He uh, that's Simon Gal Callow who uh, was just recently on Hawkeye. He played he was in the first episode of. But he's one of the foremost kind of scholars on uh, Orson Welles. He wrote a great Orson Welles book, and uh, I read that book. Yeah, people might read remember. A book. Yeah, people might remember him. He's really memorable in Four Weddings and a Funeral. He plays the character who passes away. The- oh, yeah, that's right. You know what? And I don't appreciate the accountant, the guy who's just trying to, you know, balance the ledger getting picked on. I don't appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> oh, shush. We should also <laughs> mention there's a fun, you know, for me, there's always the fun GGTMC thing of, I, I, you know what kind of movie this is when they start shooting tennis balls out of guns and they're making the pop noise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love when you see the trope of wooden crates with straw or hay and guns in them, I don't know if they ship all guns like that in movies, but it seems like in the real, you know, it seems like in the real world, that's not a good way to ship guns, but it seems like in the movies, they really do go out of the way to do the wood crate, hay, and uh, all that kind of jazz, which is, it just looks great. Right. I don't know if that's reality, but yeah, there is certainly love that stuff. I got to say, there's so many goofy elements to this thing. And again, I have a hard time believing that it it was just something that was throw it in there. We wrote it in, a, in you know, one night. I, I really think D'Souza at some point through either the editing process or reshoots or something was really going for some type of statement about action films in general with this thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would have to, but uh there, there is some just goofy humor in it. I, I was, I was going through and listing some of the things where I was chuckling, but it is that uh, I don't know airplane hot shots kind of level where you would see something that says DNA mut- mutagens. You know, use extreme <laughs> caution, um, or you know, note to self if you watch clips of dolphins, random wedding videos, and and Martin Martin Luther King giving a speech, you're going to be a good person. You're going to be a good guy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Versus Your status bar goes blue. Yeah, the other way. To a good guy. Yep. yep. Um, And then can we say that Chun Li just makes the worst ninja ever? I mean, being a professional (laughs) ninja myself and and knowing all the ninja skills, you don't take a beeping gadget with you when you're trying to infiltrate a base and trying to like use your ninja skills to be quiet. Um, But you know, it's holding it at this weird angle. She she keeps like. Like hold, like yeah. pivoting it towards the camera, and it's like, what are you doing? Um, but what I do like about her character too is that she's always like on. She's like the te- television personality. So like when they open the the cupboard and she's broadcasting it, she's she has this like this uh, game show sort of like tone. She's like, Bison Sagat, your weapons will be blown away. <laughs> And then, like Zangief is like, change the channel as the as the truck is, <laughs> which yeah, it's so stupid, but it makes me yeah. laugh. Man. <laughs> so but I don't know if, any, stupid, I don't know if anyone else picked this up, but I, I I've never picked this up until this wa- this viewing. They're talking about they can't infiltrate through the air, and literally a guy in the background goes, "Oh, like <laughs> that was like." Uh, yeah, yeah like oh yes they know we're coming so we can't yeah. go through the air and some guy goes 
Oh, <laughs> I was like, what? The one, like the Air Force pilot just yeah. upset that he can't fly a plane. I'm going to get to this stealth boat. Oh. Yeah. And there are some weird sound effects, too. Like oh, there in that one fight, Balrog, like we'll... it's like the Looney Tunes. And then he like punches the guy. <laughs> yeah. But that all yeah. that all adds to the charm of it. It's the stupid humor. It's the good humor. It's the smart humor. It's the sound effects. It's it's all of that stuff that I think just adds to something you I, I don't know. It, I think it this is <laughs> it's kind of like when you talk Miami Connection or the bad movies, etc. This one confuses me because sometimes you'll watch a film and you go, well, it's so bad. It's good. Uh, and when somebody intentionally tries to make that cult classic bad film and it turns out to be terrible, right? I, I, I feel like this is a great example of somebody who probably was creating something for Capcom to represent the characters and everything else. But I almost wonder if he was out there to your point, Jose going, if this is what they want from me, then I'm going to make a cult film or intentionally make a bad film. That's good. Like if, if you were trying to come up with an example of show me where a director intentionally made a bad film that was really good, you would be hard pressed to find something when they intentionally do that and you would actually enjoy it. I almost feel like this is one of those, um, yeah. which is, I, I think, I think that should be at a pantheon of art that, I mean, give this guy all the money at that point. Cause that that's would be so hard to do. Right. Well, and and not I wouldn't say just recently, but like if you want to see a bad bad take on this, like watch that Chun Li, The Legend of Chun Li movie. It's atrocious. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Neil McDonough. Yeah. Neil McDonough as M Bison is a choice, and it is not a good one. So it, yeah, that was a train wreck. An yeah, absolute train wreck. That's right. Had, it has to some the casting, great- to yeah. the scripting, all of it. Yeah, some of the great, some of great dialogue in that one though, right? With the uh, Chris Klein, isn't Chris? Oh, Klein Chris Klein, one? yeah, yeah, and Taboo from the Black Eyed oh. Peas is in there. Oh boy, oh, it's yeah, yeah that was bad. Between the raindrops, <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pretty, it's got. You don't really need to see the movie; just look up like YouTube clips of Chris Klein's like uh, performance. It's it's pretty off the wall. Yeah. That's a that's a way to put it. Performance. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was interesting, and Brad, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but. The same year that this came out, there was a Japanimation film, Street Fighter Two, I think the animated, yeah, the animated film. Movie. Yep. And yep. it is super violent. Yeah, right? it follows more of the story of Ken and Ryu's master being killed by Akuma and all this stuff. Like there's a a wide gamut of characters in that movie. Um but it, it their the representation is much closer to the actual game. Um, but you would kind of expect it to be. Um, kind of the same medium, if you if you will, like the, their sprite characters on you know two D plane. Here we have them, you know, hand drawn. So yeah, it. I, I really, honestly, the Street Fighter two, the animated movie, is probably my favorite of the kind of the the movies. But yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, and if you're interested, if you want to see a different take on it, and it's like I said, it's it's probably a negative four on that rating system because it's got blood and people are, you know, <laughs> I, I just remember a scene. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, where Chun Li is like getting attacked in her room or something of that nature, and you're like, whoa, what what's going on? Um, but it's it's got, uh, you know, it's not like totally adult level or anything, but man, it's it feels like an R-rated action film. 
Uh, but that that got released over in Japan the same year that this came out. So if you want a totally different take on the same uh, characters and everything else, you can always check out that one. I, I also will say there is a TV show that they released on Blu-ray. It is called Street Fighters Assassin's Fist. It's basically the Ken and Ryu story. It's really good. Um, I, I highly suggest it as well. I think that started as a web series. It did. It was called Street Fighter Legacy, I want to think. And then it kind of morphed into that. So, oh, yeah. Well, that there was uh, Mortal Kombat Legacy was the web series that became the whatever. But I, but uh, yeah, you're right. I think it started as a Street Fighter web series and then they just cut it together into one big thing. I have that Blu ray. I love that as well. Mm-hmm. And I was going to, I was going to mention that ironically, the Japanese producers who are listed on this movie Street Fighter. They were the same producers and creators behind that anime movie. And so there's this bizarre disconnect like, okay, you allowed D'Souza because Capcom approved everything to do this film. And then you turn around and make that anime, which is what we wanted yeah, I mean, it's almost got Chun Li naked in the shower. Yeah, as I said, like, there, there's know, some racy yeah. scenes in it. Yeah, uh, it's well. I mean, anime's always kind of been like that, but it's just it's just odd that the same personnel worked on both projects, and we got very wildly different films. Is it odd or is it brilliant? I mean, if you're thinking about, look, we're going to put something out the same year, and we're going to cater to all of the audience demographics. I, I, they played their cards pretty well in that that respect. Yeah. What other notes you guys got on this? Um, I, like I said, it's hard to review from a critical standpoint outside of, I I think the biggest thing that I always, every, every time I watch this, I always walk away and I find a new appreciation for, I think the level of parody that's going on. And I I think this thing's a little bit smarter than people give it credit for. Um, But you, you can't deny the performances and, and even, uh, Jean-Claude's death scene. I mean, now that's acting. That's fantastic. He should have gotten an Academy Award. He, he yeah. got shafted. What if for, they shot it? Oh, I guess they're blanks, but what, they were blanks, right? I, yeah, I he think had so. A, um, yeah. He had a... I know he had the belt on with yeah. the squibs on, but it looked yeah. like he was firing a real gun at him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Might what if be, they shot be, you in the face? Yeah, I think that might be too much to think. Well, I mean, he's still yeah. in the middle of a bunch of live fires, so there's still yeah. a potential. But, you know, you got to move the story along. Uh, don't I you shoot the colonel. I love that I he stayed in the morgue too and waited for Chun Li to come in. Yeah. Was he just chilling in the morgue <laughs> for like four hours? He needed a break, hours? man. Oh, you found yeah, that doesn't make sense. That that part doesn't make sense. sense. By, <laughs> by the way, the by the way, the the guy who is attempting to shoot Guile, and then um, T Hawk says, you know, don't shoot. That's uh, just that's D'Souza's son, David. Actually, okay, yeah, and then when they and then when they cut to where when Callow is like, oh yeah, they're all still back at the camp, and then they cut to that um, that man who's just the cook by himself. Well, he's with the the producer. That's the producer Edward Pressman in a in a little bit of a cameo. Okay, I wish there would have been more of the uh, Nunez Bernarski relationship because I thought some of their bits were the funniest bits. Like, yeah. Bernarski would say something and Nunez, Nunez would just kind of like look at him like, is this the dumbest guy that's ever walked the face here? <laughs> Especially that last part when he's like, he's like, we're going to, you know, uh, I, they didn't pay me enough, but now I'm going to get, you know, rich now. And then he's like, you got paid. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's ridiculous comedy, but it works because of the reactions of Nunez. It really does. Yeah. And Zangief doesn't know how to do a thumbs up. He does it some thumbs sideways. Yeah. Like, <laughs> has so he Van, never seen anyone yeah. do a thumbs up? Van Dam teaches him, though. Yeah. He gives us some great closure on that moment. Yeah. Because if I can change and you can change, then we can all change. If That's I can right. teach yeah. a Russian how to do a thumbs up, then the Cold War could be ended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his, his chest marking was creepy. <laughs> well, you should see Zangief. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've seen, yeah, I've seen the character, but I'm just saying, like, it just looked, it looked scary. It's like they taped a wig to his chest. It's, yeah. it's awful, oh, scary or awesome. I'm, I'm saying awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was the bison. That was the bison held, held bison symbol, the the yeah. sideways thumb thing. Oh. The uh, how do you guys feel about the the idea that they decided to, you know, do the the '80s thing by finishing on a freeze frame, but they did the you know that that's the Street Fighter pose, right? Yeah, they're I all love yeah, they're, they're victory poses. Greatest, yeah. and you get the Chun Li laugh. Yeah, greatest yeah. freeze frame ending in action movie history. Uh, let's just <laughs> give it to this movie. That that's a bold statement, man. There's a lot of great freeze frame uh, action movie endings. <laughs> no, no, but you get Kylie Minogue, you get uh, Jean Claude. I mean. God, Jean Claude. I love that they go out of their way to do the pose. I mean, I love that they go out of their way to mock the or imitate, not mock, the actual video game. Yeah, 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 that's that's pretty impressive. Because it was a nice touch. Yeah, it was. It was kind of like a hey, we love you guys. Thanks for coming and seeing our movie. I I have a question. So, and I'm sure this is one of the pages that he like ripped out and threw out. But why did? all of a sudden the scientist was it Dalism just Dalsim. Yeah. Dalsim just yeah. loses hair and is in shackles and everything. Just at what point, I mean, he, he was talking to Jean-Claude and he's like, get in this thing and you can go up there and kick bison in the face. And then the next <laughs> thing you see him, he's like, he's bald and all, he barely has any clothes. I'm like, what, what happened between putting Jean-Claude in that tube thing versus he shows so- up? Bald. I think that I think that there was a cut scene, but basically when when the 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 other guard that was in that laboratory, who by the way is like the worst lax, relu- uh, you know, dude, that guard guy looks ever. like Ron Jeremy. That guy is the <laughs> warthog. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when he was or trying to like, sorry, I guess the hedgehog. Sorry, sorry, hedgehog. I guess he was trying to like sabotage the the chamber or make it so that Blanco was bad. When he pushes Dalsim, he falls into the thing, and the 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 green and orange colored mutagen spill on him. Yeah, but oh, I think so there should the have sequel, been. He would have been able to do all the stretchy stuff because of the mutagens, yeah. right? So I mean, the trade off was that some of the characters likely would have come to prominence in a sequel. Like I would think that maybe. DJ and Zangief would be more prominent in a sequel. You would get more T Hawk. You know, um, but yeah, they were they were missing that. Also, do you wonder why T Hawk has the band aid? Oh on yeah, his head? he starts out with a band aid, it gets smaller and smaller, and then he trades that band aid for a bandana, right? So apparently, there was a cut scene where um, when they initially did the siege on Shadow Lou, he got like knocked out or something, and that's why he has the band aid. So D'Souza explains that in the commentary. He's like, "I'm sure y'all are wondering why he's got it." Well, there was a cut scene and. We we could just couldn't explain it, you know. Yeah. I feel I feel like yeah. we need to start a Kickstarter and get a bunch of yes. money together and do like <laughs> a huge director's cut and go. D'Souza, just here's the money. Go back and like what they did with Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League. Yeah, you know, oh. give D'Souza yeah. 
$120 million and go remaster all that Street Fighter footage that is sitting in your closet and give us yeah. the epic we deserve. Well, and to be fair, this movie made a lot of money in the box office and made a lot of money on DVD sales and all that stuff, too. So it's made a lot of money. Yeah, man, I hope, there's a, but- I hope, there's, I hope there's a butthole cut. <laughs> the Kylie Minogue... Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme fuck cut. I want to see that one. <laughs> oh, wow. God. Maybe for the maybe for the like uh additional scenes commentary, there can be little icons. Like if there's like a cocaine pile icon at the lower left, then you yeah. know like he was high when he filmed this. That I, I would I would kickstart that. I, guys, I think that would be through the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> guys, hey, we're we're two years from this movie's 30th anniversary, so maybe That's they'll crazy. do something special. 30 um, years. Hunger oh Games God. just celebrated its 10-year anniversary. I feel super old. Yep. 30 I know. years. Jeez. <laughs> oh, guys. Okay. Wow. What a yeah. what a way to bring us down, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> I better snort my pile of cocaine I got over here to the left. <laughs> liar Liar premiered on this date 25 years ago. Ooh. Okay, enough with the Stop old talk. Yes. <laughs> enough. Uh, uh, last thoughts. Anything you want to share before we get to the question? No? All right, I'm starting with you, Jose. I, I, hey, we, we just got done talking about Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, Street Fighter. From 1994, the question goes to you first. Is Street Fighter a bomb? It is not a masterpiece, <laughs> but it is certainly not a bomb. Okay. I love it. All I right. love it. I like it. What about you, Sammy? Not a bomb. This movie is fun, goofy. Uh, it's just silly. Um, it knows what it is right from the get-go with the tennis ball guns. I mean, if... <laughs> If you if you're out after if if the tennis ball guns turn you off, just go ahead and turn it off and walk away. That's true. That's that's a good point. All right, Brad, the Street Fighter expert, the one who made a livelihood off of playing this game, owns. Do you own every Street Fighter game ever made? Uh, yes, I do actually. How many how many games is that? Do you know? It's a lot. To- I have like. Uh, don't like, don't go don't there's like 45 versions of street fighter 2 so yeah there's a lot there's a lot so you own all 45 um, versions of just that one version of street fighter yeah i've got like the japanese whatever you don't want to don't, don't don't okay okay uh anyway uh it's not a bomb like jose said it's not a masterpiece not anywhere close but uh maybe it's a i i, I don't know how to describe it i really don't know how to describe this movie um it's just Weird. I mean, he's he's riding in a stealth boat. He throws in a tape and watches a vacation video with him and Charlie. Uh, it's I, I don't know why he does it. Uh, he just does it. Um, those two actresses are uh, credited together as uh, I believe it's Guile and Charlie's dates. And yep. that's their credit. Um, so anyway, but yeah, you know who they are. Uh, I, I don't. I'm gonna, so gonna sitting next me, right? to. Sitting next to Van Damme is Darcy LaPierre, his wife at the time. Oh. And, and next to Robert Mamone is D'Souza's wife. Do you think that was awkward when she met Kylie Minogue? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Oh, I fucking her. Probably. <laughs> she has white powder on her nipples. Yes. <laughs> Wow. Don't smell uh, my finger. I think we officially hit that negative four rating. <laughs> negative uh, four. Yes. Yeah, we hit yes, negative, four. negative four. 
Uh, I agree with everybody. It's not a bomb. I think it's a it's a misunderstood classic. Uh, I I I'm going to probably champion it a little bit higher. Now, granted, it is no hard target, which we have already established like over well over an hour ago, which is the greatest Jean Claude Van Damme movie ever made. Knock um, off. What? Not what? Oh, it's it, it's in there, Bloodsport. but it's not number one. It's not Bloodsport. Um, <laughs> Bloodsport. It's not Bloodsport or knockoff. Sorry, guys. It is hard target. <laughs> but uh man i i honestly i'd probably put this in the top 10 if we were making the whole because i have a lot of fun with this uh, um yeah yeah i'd put a couple of his funny performances in, and i think this for me this is a funny performance yes 100 percent. i agree i mean you you don't go to this i mean let's be honest if you want true face kicking awesomeness obviously hard target if you want comedic performance um and also probably I mean, I hate saying this, but I mean, this is one of Raul Julia's best performances. I think he gives it his all. And it's it's a testament to how good of an actor he is where he takes something that, um, I don't know, it, it, it could be played like a just a boring Bond villain, stereotypical bad guy, and he just elevates the sucker. But I, but I think he had good material to work with because, again, I, I will say that whole Tuesday line is one of the funniest scenes out there. So I think with um, D'Souza's script and Raul Julie's performance, I mean, it, it takes that Bison character. I think it's one of the best characters out of like '90s action films in general. It's so much fun. Hmm. Agreed. Well, that was awesome, uh, man. I, I love talking movies with you guys. Uh, I, I mean, we sit around and text all day. We should be working at our jobs, but we're just making ah. fun of each other. So it's Speak only for yourself. Yeah, yeah, you don't work. Shut up. Um, <laughs> Brad, what are we doing next? Oh, wait. Next week's my pick. This was your pick, your right? Your pick, buddy. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So we're going to go to the listener emails because when this came up in a suggestion, it was like, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen that for a while, and I want to watch that again. Uh, but we're going to talk about Spartan with Val Kilmer. Have we done a really good spy movie lately? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. This Have we done a Mammoth film yet? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Reese 2 is kind of a spy movie. <laughs> Reese 2 is a mammoth movie. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. No, Grease 2 is Wait, a- mammoth. House of, Car- House of Games. That's a great movie. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. we have it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we get a David Mammoth film. Um, we get uh, Val Kilmer, William H. Macy. I'm super excited about this. And Sammy, you're coming back for that one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I'll be back next week. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, you want to talk about what you guys uh, reviewed over at the Gentleman's Guide this week and what you got planned? Uh, what did we do? We did Happy Together, Wong Kar Wai. Yes. Oh. We did that film. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, so I'd never seen it. So I was, you know, well, I'm not going to give away everything. Yeah, don't it. give it away. Okay, well, everybody's got to go listen. Yeah, you got to go listen to it. But I did like it a lot. I'll say that. And I uh, was surprised by it as I continually am by Wong Kar Wai sometimes. And we get to hear just how popular Will is during the times you guys record. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you get to hear that. And you also get to hear my thoughts on Heat, which Brad didn't like. I did not like. (laughs) And what? Yeah, you got to go listen. Um, And just we we had to spend a couple hours smoothing things over between Brad and Sammy before we recorded. Um, I think I'll say say this. Alligator faces collateral more than it faces heat. (laughs) Oh, boy. You didn't like heat. Let's not start this. She's again. got a great ass. <laughs> you like got heat. your head. 
I like Williams got a great I like Eat. I don't think it's a masterpiece. That's all I'll say. Sammy, give me all you got. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Well, go check out the hot water here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we don't need to start this argument again. And we're so, doing Rancho Deluxe next week. Rancho Deluxe. That's right. So go yes, check out Rancho Deluxe. Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Uh, Jose, we are going to get you back on here shortly. Thank you so much. Again, you drop so much knowledge and trivia on everybody involved in filmmaking. It's re- I don't I don't understand like how you know and remember all this stuff. It is amazing to me. But you are like the superstar guest. It's it's <laughs> so awesome. Thank you. I love being on the podcast. Oh, we're gonna Not a bomb is my favorite. We're gonna have now you on so many times. Turned our show into a negative four with movie guides, so you just have to keep coming back. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah yes. we're officially a negative Absolutely. four. Uh, Brad, if somebody and wants, I also love GGTMC. By the way, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, hey, I'll say this: every Monday morning, like I get all excited when I that episode's going to drop, and if it doesn't drop before my commute, I get really angry because then I I have to wait. Every Monday at 8 a.m. That's when it comes out. I know, and my commute's earlier than that, so you're killing me, man. You got to get up earlier and come get on, that. Sammy, hit yeah. that button. Seriously, man. I got it set up to do it that way. I guess I could do 7 a.m., but then I'm not. I might not be coherent. Oh, all right, <laughs> I'll be drinking coffee and trying to get my stuff going at work <laughs> between my texts with you guys. I was gonna say we start about 6:37 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh yeah that's uh that's uh if you want to reach us uh suggestions or um just comments that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com you can also head over to not a bomb podcast.com and hit the contact us button or you can reach out on instagram facebook and twitter yes tell us what you think send us an email we'd love to hear your thoughts about street fighter any of the movies we talked about uh, if you head over to itunes leave us a review tell us what you think about the show Um, We love your feedback. I mean, the feedback is kind of what builds the show and allows us to kind of decide what we want to pick because we want to talk about the movies that you want to hear about, but also um, stuff that interests us. And and a great example is we've had a couple of suggestions for chairman of the board with, I I guess, Carrot Top. And so went out, found the film. So it's coming up here soon. Very soon. I own chairman of the board, so you better listen to our podcast. But that was a tough one to find. Mm. It actually was Yahoo Serious movie soon. (laughs) See, I always get those confused. The Carrot Top and Yahoo Serious. So um, it'll be interesting. Serious is like this. Carrot Tops. Uh (laughs) I agree. Listeners cannot see, but there was a ranking with uh, Sammy's hands. Carrot Top was uh, higher. Was that how that worked? No. No. Prop comedy. We all love good prop comedy. Prop comedy. I'm I'm looking forward to the fall of the Roman Empire episode. I'm looking forward to that. I love when you guys go back and do the older films. I'll tell you what. uh, I started reading about that film, and apparently the only Blu-ray that's available are all foreign uh, imprints. And that movie has a bunch of different uh, runtimes to it. So hmm. yeah, there's a reason for that. Yeah, I'm doing the research on it to try and find out which one to get. Apparently, there in the U.S. there was a pretty nice box set on DVD released, but I was amazed at how many different um, UK, Germany, Italy Blu-rays and they all have just different runtimes to it. So we will be doing that one, but I got to figure out. I, I got to figure out this whole release thing, or I may just go out and buy every single one of them because you, you guys do know that's not a short film right yeah it's like oh, yeah. uh it's yeah. like two hours and uh five minutes right 
Well, the original <laughs> cut is three hours and eight minutes. Yeah, yeah, three hours. Yeah, it's over three hours. Yeah, I knew it was a big one. I don't know. Yeah. That, that sent me down a rabbit hole because I started looking at some of those other uh, producer film or other films that the producer had released. Uh, and, and now I'm like, oh, I got this whole watch list. But I got I to gotta tell you, that film, I will probably not watch until I watch Lawrence of Arabia first. Because I know, Sammy, you guys were talking about Lawrence Arabia a couple of weeks ago. And it got me thinking, man, I got to watch that 4K. It's, it's still sitting there. Yeah, you got to watch it. I mean, you just got to. I know. I know. So I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or the evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. I hope you enjoyed our little uh, discussion of Street Fighter. Come back next week for some Val Kilmer spy action when we talk about Spartan. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, Jose, Sam, thank you again. It's always wonderful to spend time with you. And we can't wait to have you on again. Don't worry, Charlie. I'm coming for you, Charlie. Don't worry, Charlie. We're all under arrest. (laughs) And who wants to go home? And who wants to go with me? (laughs) 